Welcome everyone to October 29th, 1988 in the Legacy Series. It is another Saturday night's main event. I have heard it said before that art is fire plus algebra. I've been thinking a lot lately about the title reign of the macho man Randy Savage numbers wise. We still have a long way to go, but it feels like the title reign is getting away from us quickly. It is going by. And when I think about that quote that art is fire plus algebra, I think about Randy Savage. I think about the guy we met who was from another place. I think about the guy who was, what was it, south of Mars, north of hell. I think about the guy who is so colorful, who can move sideways as easily as he moves uh, straight forward, who can surround you. As one man, I think about the fire, I think about the passion, but I also think about the algebra. I think about a man who needed things a certain way. I think about a man who could easily be thrown off his game if you knew how to do it. When Ricky Steamboat talked about his matchup at WrestleMania 3 with Randy Savage, he said the following. When the camera was on, he was colorful. When it came to putting a match together, he was a stickler. We both had these yellow legal pads, and we started making notes. We got everything addressed. Number one, number two, number three, and it went up to number 157. Randy would say, okay, here is up to spot 90. Now you tell me the rest. That's an unbelievable thing because you would not know it if you looked at it, if you watched the match. How in the world do you even come up with 157 spots, much less memorize them and put them on in a matchup that will look free and unique? But this man needed the algebra. He needed things to make sense in his world and be ordered so that he could be fire and art within it. Free up all the things you can free up. Get rid of the distractions. Get rid of the external. Set up a world in which you can be macho madness. Sherry said before the matchup at WrestleMania uh, with the Warrior, Randy Savage faxed the Warrior 30 pages of notes for that matchup. It's an interesting man to watch someone so free on camera, someone so just set apart and yet... I was also looking because Miz Fan has given us so many good bonus matches and events for this show. One of them is Andre versus Savage, and I got to thinking, did Savage ever pin Andre? Because we got DQs and we got countouts, and I was thinking about how amazing it would be because Hulk Hogan won the title win in around 85. Uh, so five years or so, Andre would have put over every world champion. Instead, what I came to was something that I did not know, but it almost didn't surprise me. Andre hated Randy Savage. And you kind of can see it when you watch the matches because he, he is rough on Randy Savage. But why did Andre hate Randy Savage? Because of baby oil. Andre hated baby oil. And Randy Savage wore baby oil. And uh, Lanny Puff Poffo said, the, well... 
How about you do this, Randy? How about you wear baby oil with every other wrestler? And then as a show of respect, you don't wear it with Andre. And Randy Savage said, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? His thing is being a giant. My thing is baby oil. So he never stopped. Unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. Randy Savage, he is fire. He is space. But he's also deep down needing something. He needs to order that world so he can move through it. And I submit to you that Hulk Hogan is, was, and always will be an agent of chaos. Nobody knows how to find out what the algebra formula is and then to not only disrupt it, but be the disruptor, but also not be seen as the disruptor better than Hulk Hogan. Isn't it funny that his biggest claim to fame outside of WWF, Randy Savage and Elizabeth, that's easy. One person, one manager, one man, one woman, one husband, one wife. Simple math. What is Hulk Hogan known for outside of WWF? Being the third man. Being that extra, being that disruptor, being the one who comes out and has the baby faces applauding him. And then he drops a leg. Where does he drop the leg? He drops it on Randy Savage. I submit to you that Hulk Hogan was the third man long before WCW. And we're starting to see it now. And I just say all this to continue painting a picture of the macho man Randy Savage because Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan are so large in this era that it blows my mind that it's hard to even give Savage the respect that he deserves. But he is a complicated human being. He has flaws like the rest of us, but he also can ascend to places that we often cannot. If art is indeed at times fire plus algebra. This WWF era is like we said, one side trying to give the formula, the other side trying to give the formula. The formulas are never the same. And it's a battle of narratives, of wheels, of provoking where anything can happen. Anything can go. Even Bruce Pritchard said, if you go back and watch the old tapes, Hulk Hogan was a terrible human being. He cheated. He didn't take calls from his friends because he was working out. And he said that explaining why Hulk Hogan was more popular than guys like Diesel, guys like, he didn't say it, but guys like Cena, guys like Luger, all of those folks. Because Hulk Hogan never said, I am now the person and that people come after. Hulk Hogan was always the one poking at the formula and then showing his clean hands because, by God, he was not, he was never really there. I am glad to be here. I'm glad to be doing the show. Glad to be talking about Randy Savage. Glad to be working with Miz Fan. Glad for the bonus footage that he's going to give us, folks. He's going to give us so much in the show. We're going to get into it right now. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the Unearth thing continues. I am the mystic, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Miz Fan, The Brain. Greetings, Miz Fan fans. Thank you for that great introduction, as always. Lord Shane Mystic PhD. Oh, we do have a lot to talk about today, and I think you have dropped even more to talk about because you are bringing the fire and you are bringing that elemental analysis as you do. Today we have 
the October 29th episode of Saturday Night's Main Event from 1988. We're going to talk about Haku versus Hulk Hogan with Miss Elizabeth in his corner. We're seeing Demolition against the Hart Foundation, Jake Roberts and Rick Rude, and not just their match, but everything that came before it. We're going to see some very special uh, <laughs> performing from the man who hates baby oil, uh, which is such a, a bizarre story. I don't even know what to say about that. Uh, we're going to see Brain Busters. We're going to see Randy Savage. We're going to see amazing stuff today. I'm very excited about this show. Very excited to talk more about Randy Savage and the strange mindset of this man who was burning an inferno in space and yet was laying careful pathways on Earth. This is um, it's a great era to be digging through. I'm happy to be doing this show as well. Happy to be here with you. Yeah, man. Everything you dig into in this era, it just gives back tenfold. Absolutely, yeah. Um, 1988, yeah, very special time. Uh, let's see, we're in October, which means I am uh, about eight months old somewhere, so still a long you, way for appreciating wrestling. You had to feel it, though, a little bit, right? Like You, you felt the tremors, at least. <laughs> I, my, well, I lived in California at the time, so uh, my parents uh, say they were earthquakes. Probably it was just Hulkamania, though, so that's a good point. You need to confront them. Like, how is it that every time you said there was an earthquake, Hulk Hogan was body slamming someone over 300 pounds? I should. I should interrogate them. I once fell and, uh, I don't even remember this. I fell and hit my head on, like, the fireplace. And, uh, it was, like, kind of a, a serious event, sort of. Um, and I'm sure that corresponds to, uh, Atlantic City falling into the ocean or something because of Hulk Hogan. So, yeah. Good, good point. I never knew I was so affected. By Hulk Hogan in my childhood. Everyone was affected. You don't get away from this man. And that's the one thing I, I got, because this is really just digging for I, I didn't do this to, as an introduction. It's just I'm trying to get everything I can from Randy Savage while he is here. But it's this Hulk Hogan business, too, that is just as intriguing. That Why is it that every baby face that becomes a world champion almost, it's almost dead on. Like, it's over now. You had your chase. Now people chase you, and you're you're just some you're just there to be chased. But it's that, that, that Hogan is this agent of chaos, where he will always be the one. You know, we're gonna see a little bit later where he's gonna have hand, like handcuffs on his wrist because of what the boss man did to him, and he's never taken them off to be reminded. But we saw him earlier in the show, and they weren't on. <laughs> he knows how to take a narrative. And turn everything. He's always the chaser. He's always the cause. He's always the one doing the thing, even though the, narratively you'll never catch him simply in that. But action wise, he is always putting the heat on. And I'll make the case when we get into Saturday Night's main event, but I think he's already putting the heat on Randy Savage for a later date. Oh, oh I think uh, there's no question about that. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a twofold thing. I mean, certainly Hulk Hogan had the ability and I think the mindset to uh, pursue what he wanted pretty relentlessly. And obviously it served him very well uh, in his success. Um, and also, of course, uh, he's in a position where he can make this happen. Like nobody is going to tell Hulk Hogan no, probably ever again in this whole <laughs> series that we're doing. You know, he's proved himself beyond what just about anybody will ever prove themselves, drawing 
whether you think it's 80,000, 90,000, whatever fans in one place, bringing the company to just unprecedented, impossible levels of success that nobody could have predicted. You know, he's, um, he's, he's like a god in wrestling right now, so if he wants it, he'll make it happen, and uh, he's probably unique in wrestling history to the extent in which he has that power. It's so hard to understand that it's almost this carefulness that anybody would have. To me, the closer you get, the more you step out of your comfort zone and you go, you try to go to places different or higher. There has to be some carefulness because, like, what happens if you fail? What happens if you lose? What happens if you fall? Like, you might fall back and you might not have the place you had. Like, there's, there's so much risk. And you can see a lot of people when they become a world champion. There is a carefulness around them. There is a kind of tightness, whether it's in mentally or whether it's emotionally. And maybe it's because he's had these four years. But at the, at the same time, Hulk Hogan kind of just burst on the WWF scene as this thing, you know, as an actor acting against, disrupting, destroying. And Hulk Hogan just has a freedom to come in, as you said, and do the things that he does. Whereas... Like Randy Savage, you're the world champion. You can't afford to miss one episode because the narrative is going to shift and like the 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 numbers and the formula are going to change. And Hulk Hogan's always got clean hands. He's got a dirty heart, but he's got clean hands. You're never going to catch his hand in that pot. <laughs> uh, he's a powerful instigator, but um, yeah. that's part of what made him who he was and yes. uh, brought him to this level. Uh, there's there's a feeling. I think um, that in this area that maybe, I don't know, like Hulk Hogan held people down. Like we talked, like, oh, he sabotaged the warrior is the story, although I'm sort of doubting that more and more the more we talk about it. But we'll see when we get there. Um, he did this, he did that, and maybe it was Vince McMahon, and he just didn't want anyone who wasn't Hulk Hogan because he was so muscular. And there's probably some truth to that as well. But, man, if you really just sit back and look at everyone else who had the opportunity – like what a what an incredible, invaluable, irreplaceable talent Hulk Hogan had for keeping himself relevant. Because it can't all be politics. It can't all be Hogan maneuvering. I mean, look at how many people have come up, been exciting, kind of shot their shot, and then they're never the same again. You know, they're never as exciting. They're never as over. It happens over and over and over and over again. And at some point. You have to look at the guy it never happens to, uh, or it won't happen to, for like 15 years or whatever, whenever Hogan finally stops being relevant. And you got to say, hey, maybe this guy really had something that nobody else had. Yeah, this is why you have to go back and watch these things in order to fully speak on it, because this is not the narrative, folks. Go back and watch WCW The Legacy Series. This is not the narrative that either one of us would have expected but but we speak, you know, kind of what's in front of our face. That's why we watch. That's why we take notes. That's why we look at things. And maybe in the 90s, maybe you can make some cases in WWF. I know The Undertaker says that Hulk Hogan faked being injured so that he could say Undertaker hurt him. Um, oh, we, we, we talk about We'll talk about the Sid thing when we get to that. So we can talk about that. But I, I, Warrior thing is Hulk Hogan just talking about how smart he is in his book by giving the belt. No world champion put over at WrestleMania as a babyface by Hulk Hogan should lose 1% of shine because Hulk Hogan handed them the belt. Right, right. So, to me, at minimum, 
from the time that the WWF, the Legacy Series started, which is Hulk Hogan becoming world champion until past the Ultimate Warrior. You can't really put you can't put it like one percent of anything on him that is egregious. You know, you, you say the same thing about Andre. Like, oh well, Andre's still like he Andre's going to end the Saturday Night's main event even after Hulk Hogan. So Andre is still also having the same kind of success. And are you going to say that Hulk? Well, he's the boss and he's a giant and he bullied his way through, and that's the only reason he's on TV. No, you're not going to say that because it doesn't make sense. Right. You know. And right now, Hulk Hogan and Andre are having runs. Maybe Bret Hart's going to have a hell of a run late in his career. Steve Austin's going to have a hell of a run. Undertaker's going to have a hell of a run if you, if you put it all together. Rock's going to be there. But we already got two people that it's going to be damn difficult even to get beside them, even as Randy Savage is finding out. This Randy Savage run is as good as almost any era would ever want. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can never even, like, for a moment get him to number two. Because Hulk Hogan and Andre won't stop. They won't get out of their spots for, for five <laughs> seconds. Yeah, I mean, um, that one episode of Saturday Night's Main Event, I think, is the single solitary moment of Randy Savage's yeah. championship reign that he's going to be by himself. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We're going to see Hulk Hogan all over everything. Um, and, yeah, my larger point is, like, there's just a very good reason for that. We, we talked um, a few episodes ago about, like, who replaces Hogan if he goes out at such and such a time. And you always see conversations like that. And it always kind of breaks down because the real answer that people don't like to admit, and I I don't even love to admit it, but there's nobody, you know, there is nobody that can replace Hulk Hogan. Nobody can do what he did uh, in this time and place. And uh, it's annoying because there's a lot of things not to like about Hulk Hogan, as we all know. And yet, like... I don't know. It's that thing you see online sometimes, like when someone, the worst person you know, makes a good point. Well, maybe the worst person you know was the biggest wrestling star that ever lived. Um, and that's not to say Hogan's the worst, but yeah, you might dislike him. God knows I do much of the time, but uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, he didn't get on the top of the mountain by falling there, you know? Like, this yeah. is a guy who put in the work and who just had incredible talent um, in his way. So you, you have to recognize that i think there's also some kind of iq wrestling iq that mm-hmm. i don't know how because it's partly like with bret hart i'm gonna say everybody says bret hart likes status more than money and that's not like in an insult but he would rather be pay him less but make him world champion make him the man and he's gonna live it he's gonna you know embody it he's gonna be it hulk hogan is also someone who just understands what needs to be done and this is like where Lex Luger, Sting, all those guys who never watched wrestling, they weren't wrestling fans. This is where I will gladly say, if you want to say behind the scenes, some kind of intangible, they sh- they didn't have it. I'm always for that. Like I I can't speak to that. Uh-huh. But you can't beat the one who, like if I'm Vince McMahon and I have a world champion who is over, and they understand at least as good as I do what it takes to be over and stay over. Versus starting over again and trying to explain to the Ultimate Warrior what professional wrestling is and how to sustain something because it's just it's it's invaluable and oh man Hogan's embodying it and I don't know I don't know I this is not the narrative I expected like you said we got one Randy Savage uh, a show without Hulk Hogan but now I know Hogan Bossman is fire too and we're going into that so it doesn't stop right. Like, I- 
I literally you know, thought in my mind that that feud was for the title, and it's not. Um, yeah. But that just shows you like how encompassing Hogan is. Savage's reign is as good as over. I hate to say. Yeah, Randy Savage. You know, we we might see him do great things. Like he might have great moments, but he is secondary and on the defense. Like everything that happens is going to be happening to him. And when you think about Randy Savage's formula is in a notepad, so it's small enough to be within his hands. <laughs> Hulk Hogan's formula is the ex- entire existence of wrestling, and he can play with it at any level and any place. Man, I love that story about the notepad. I, I knew Savage planned out his matches, but I didn't know to that extent. Um, I will say Ultimate Warrior probably needed the 30 pages. Yes. I'm a little surprised he could read them. Um, that's my warrior bashing for the day. But, no. uh, oh, man. That, yeah, wow, that's incredible. Like, you think of some of the people that Savage worked with that he had great matches with who, who must have balked at this formula because you have guys like Steamboat and you have guys like Flair who, who called everything in the ring by all accounts um, and had so many great matches doing it that way. I think the story is, like, all the Flair-Steamboat matches were called in the ring um, yeah. and they're considered some of the best ever. And then you have this guy who's like, let's plan out Every let's do it a way that isn't done, and yet his way produces such amazing stuff as well. I mean, you have to respect um, just the sheer audacity of of pushing your peers to do something a way they probably didn't want to do, and yet the result you can't argue with it. It is so great. I am more impressed with the Savage way because sure, once you're a pro and you're great, like to me, any great matchup I imagine would be at least halfway, if not more, called in the ring because you got the live crowd, you got that the real time. How anybody plans 157 steps to a match, and that's not the worst match in wrestling history, but it's actually one of the best, blows my mind. I don't even know how you can do that because it just seems like the match would be dead and formulaic before you even like come out of the curtain. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, one thing that's very bad for wrestling is if things look uh, contrived or overly planned or guys are standing around waiting for a thing to happen. You know, it's uh, it's very bad for a match. And, God, you would never see that in a Randy Savage match, so you, you just wouldn't think. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's very impressive. Uh, he definitely did it his own way, clearly. Yeah. Okay, so you can take us through the bonus in any direction you want. I have one question, and then we can jump into that. Let's do it. Are we both, when we get to Saturday night's main event, are we both going to be talking about Andre again in a way that's just like the astounding Andre the Giant? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for a lot of this. This is going to yes. be a very good show. I'm excited. Um, so, all right, let's, uh, let's go chronologically here through all the stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, first bonus footage. Uh, this is something we've already visited a little bit in uh, our thread on the forums. Uh, that's www.lopforums.com. Navigate with that whole URL or through our front page, wrestlingheadlines.com. Um, this is the uh, coronations of the WWF. We're going to talk about the first two. We'll talk about the third one kind of more when it comes along because we're not there yet. Uh, we've got Harley Race and we've got Haku. And you uh, specifically requested that we uh, put these coronations on here, which I have no problem with. I'll let you lead with uh, whatever you want to say about these segments here. Okay, jumping jumping off, two things come to mind. Number one, in a world where we just explained what Hulk Hogan's doing in this era, God bless the heels 
who knew, like, I'm not going to be the world champion, but I'm not going to sit back and not be anything. Mm. Like, I'll be the million-dollar champion, or I'll be a king, or I'll be something. So I respect the, the hustle of just, you know what, I am, I'm great. And I'm not going to be world champion tomorrow, but I'm not going to sit back and never be anything. So you got a lot of guys who are going to bitch about what they never were. Why didn't you just get buy yourself a throne and a, and a crown and make yourself a king? <laughs> You know, so I think the thing, the only other person that comes close to being being able to see the business, being able to narrate the business in your favor, being able to have a finger in anything and everything. If there's someone else who does that, like Hulk Hogan does that, it's Bobby the Brain Heenan. And that's why, as Ms. Fan, as you've said a hundred times, the great feud beyond all the great feuds here is Hulk Hogan and Bobby Heenan. It's because Bobby Heenan is always doing the same thing. He's not just crowning these guys. That's one thing. All It gives a little prestige to his guy. It makes them happy. The family's a little bit better. But it's always a middle finger to everybody and everything else. Like he knows the fans don't like it. He acts like they do or they should. He acts like... You know, the king is greater than everything. It's better than being the Intercontinental Champion, being the world champion, even though he dropped that crown in a minute if he could take Hogan's belt. Like, he does the same thing Hogan does. He stirs the pot, and he's always trying to cause damage to people on the other side of the narrative while building his. So it's, these are formula makers and formula disturbers, and I love Bobby Heenan. The, the fact that his presence is in both of these tell you why these matter. There's a, uh, I think it's a Steve Austin um, quote from some interview he did where he said, if you don't want to be the world champion, um, then you shouldn't be in the company or something like that. And I understand what he's saying by that, but I also think that has sort of become cancerous to the way a lot of wrestling is presented because nowadays especially, it feels like there's kind of one, only one story, there's only one motivation um, everybody has to have, like, the boyhood dream of Shawn Michaels. You know, everyone, like, oh, they're just glad to be in this company and maybe someday they'll be world champion. You know, and it's the only thing they want. And you look back at this era and you have guys who want so many things, who uh, achieve so many things. You have Harley Race, who, yeah, like, he makes himself a king. And like you said, we have the Million Dollar Championship. You have Rick Rude, who maybe just wants to have the best body and kiss women. You have Andre the Giant, who did want to at least ask to be world champion. But when he's not world champion, he can just be a giant, and he can stick up for his family, and he can do all these things. You have freaks who want to throw snakes and cut hair and, you know, be in this weird world of wrestling. So, um... What I appreciate about this era is that people can want so many different things and they can want things which, you know, they love to be world champion, but they, they kind of have their own thing going on as well. And it's just as important to them to have that identity. That's beautifully said because that's that touches wrestling. It touches out of wrestling. Like how many of us probably wanted to be something you know, beyond what we currently are, you know, might be doesn't mean we're suffering. It doesn't mean, oh, God, look at my horrible life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, you know, you start off on one path. You know, maybe you take an exit somewhere. Maybe you take a break somewhere. Maybe you find a rest area. And the, the beautiful thing about this is we got a Harley Race coordination. We got a Haku coordination. So in one of them, I say Haku is stepping up 
at that time to become king. Harley Race was kind of stepping down to become king. <laughs> so, but 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 still, like what else? Like Harley Race could have been like, I guess it's kind of jobber or like. <laughs> Handsome Harley guy. Race is what they called him for a few months, so that should tell you something. Yeah. Yet, and this is Bobby Heenan though. Like he, there, there's something so beautiful. And this is this show is just going to be out of order, but who cares? <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things, Andre the Giant. We'll get to that. Will be in deep, deep trauma. And Bobby Heenan, you would think Andre and Bobby Heenan were the great baby faces for how much time we got and how much how beautiful that relationship is. <laughs> But then at the end of the show, even amidst the drama and the trauma and the pain of Andre the Giant and Bobby Heenan cares deeply, but he still takes one moment to say, you know, not, not only should we not have snakes, but we shouldn't have wives at ringside. So that was one second of also talking about Rick Rude. Like he, he didn't forget Rick Rude even in that moment. You know, these people are looking out for everyone, and you got to respect it. And I take your point. Like, if someone wants to be in wrestling and they don't want to be a world champion, I understand what Austin's saying, and that's fine. But, you know, also, just have fun and be, be you know, whatever you make your career out to be. But then, like you said, even if you want to be world champion and you're not world champion, well, then are you just going to be not world champion or are you going to be the fucking king of professional wrestling? Uh, absolutely. And honestly, I think, I think it's like, not everyone needs to be on top, like whatever company, whatever job you're in now, you don't have to want to be the president of that company for God's sake, like show some, um, some Zen, show some, uh, happiness with where you are in life for God's sakes. Don't condemn yourself to always be unhappy. So yeah. that's my philosophy for today. That's great. Because also if you're always unhappy and they made you world champion, you need to be an unhappy world champion. You probably will. We've had we've had a few. We'll have more. So I know for a fact if I was in professional wrestling, the worst thing they could do to me is make me world champion because then it really is. Okay, so all the numbers, everything that happens at house shows, at pay per views, at TV, is re- you're responsible for. Oh man. And I would be yeah, like refreshing the page every day to see you know <laughs> see the numbers. And they wouldn't be good because I wouldn't be a good world champion. And then it'd be like, oh, shit, well, now I'm going to kill myself. And that would be the end of the story. Uh, oh, man, that's extreme. But uh, I it is. But oh, I can't wow. take that pressure. It's a lot. Yeah, we've seen champions who, uh, who who could not deal with that pressure very well. So Yeah, make me a, make me a low mid-carter. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, show love for the supporting roles, for God's sake. Uh, it's God important. It's really very important. Very far matters. <laughs> he does. I, I, all the, all the low card guys. Like we wouldn't be here without him. You know. So, so that's, is it, what we're trying to say in, in this slow workaround is that there are a lot of spaces, and it, it makes it matters to say it because there is a lot of complaints. Sometimes they're justified, but a lot of people just complain about their careers and like, really, what did you do? But this is a time where. Even though Harley Race was made king when he came in, Vince McMahon decided, hey, you're going to be the king. But you cannot convince me watching this stuff that it wasn't Harley Race and Bobby Heenan that decided that he was going to be king. (laughs) They pulled it off uh, wonderfully, absolutely. There's no uh, sense of um, bitterness or uh, sandbagging from Harley Race. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's some... 
shoot interview that'll tell you what he really thinks about it. But I, I kind of just prefer to live in um, in the bubble here and just uh, watch how it played out on the screen. And it wouldn't matter one way or the other because right. if you, if somewhere he said that he didn't want to be king, and I don't know if he did or not, then you know, did he want to be not king but no better than what he was? I was, I think the answer would be no as well to that. And this is different because Haku will be the king when we get to it that is now becoming king. This is the first king for Bobby Heenan. So this is like where it, where it's kind of inaugural. Um, we got the scroll. Every time they bring the scroll out, I don't know why it makes me happy, but it does. <laughs> yeah, could have been the same scroll, you know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> now nah, you ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I'm very sorry. Uh, hear ye, imagine. hear ye. So this, we're told that this is bigger than royal weddings, inaugurations. This is it eclipses them all. Harley Race sits very pompous, very satisfied as well. At this time in his career, that's exactly how he should sit in the wrestling business. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, what I, I like about these segments is that uh, they get so many heels to come yes. out and uh, crowd the ring and all be together and be supportive, and that's nice. You like to see it. Uh, heels supporting other heels. You've got uh, Freddie Blassie out there front and center and uh, a lot of other guys who uh, who are here to support Harley Race. It's very heartwarming. It is it is amazing. And so Bobby Heenan will play on that at times. Vincent. If you want to know if the heels are doing something well, how how out of pocket is Vincent Mann behaving? <laughs> and so I think it's in the next one. That, yes, the next one. But Vincent Mann is so – he's interrupting. He's condemning. He hates the fact that they have a bunch of people around them and they're having a coronation and they're making something of their own. He cannot stand it. But you know what? Again, Bobby Heenan knows. Bobby Heenan knows how to push buttons as well as Hulk Hogan. Absolutely. It's a uh, great talent of his, for sure. Uh, So we get the coronation. We get him carried out by uh, Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy as I flash back to uh, the Heenan family of yesteryear. Um, and yeah, we get uh, King Harley Race out of this whole segment. Yeah, lovely thing again carried off. You know, it's another uh, privilege. Like nobody's gonna do it for you, so just grab a couple of people that support your cause. You know, and, and do the thing. And it's a beautiful thing. We we've seen Harley Race throughout this uh, run of WWF the Legacy Series, but unfortunately, nothing lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And Harley Race will be injured, maybe purposefully, maybe not, by Hulk Hogan. <laughs> And we'll need a new king, and that takes us uh, to the next coronation. Yes, two years later, we have coronation number two in an almost identical scene um, with a few different faces in the ring, of course, from uh, the turnover. We even got Andre in there with his future tag partner, and uh, you you love seeing Andre uh, being supportive of a family. We've commented on this before, what a supportive family member he was. Yeah, it's amazing. Andre's there. DiBiase is there. This is a big deal. Vincent Man says, well, we know it can't be any of them because, you know, he's the owner and he booked the scene. But Jesse Ventura, <laughs> as announcer, says, how do you know it can't be somebody in the ring, McMahon? <laughs> this is a great question. <laughs> do yeah, your job as an announcer. <laughs> you see, I think it was Vince McMahon alone for the first coronation. And here it's Vince McMahon with Ventura. And the difference is uh, very palpable because, uh, of course... Someone is now there to challenge all of Vince's uh, assumptions and um, out-of-pocket comments, as you say. Yeah. We have said before, too, that Vince McMahon, when he cannot rebut you, he'll get on your grammar, your sentence structure. He does that um, 
Bobby Heenan will say that uh, Holly Race uh, surgery at the hands of Hulk Hogan and Vince will be like, well, I don't think uh, Hulk Hogan did the surgery, but you understand. And Jesse's like, well, thank you for explaining that, McMahon. Nobody would have understood it otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. I love it. Um, yeah, Heenan does talk about Harley Race and uh, kind of bemoans the loss of him now recovering from that surgery thanks to Hogan. Ventura is very disgusted that the fans are cheering about that. And, uh, you know, he has a point. He has a point. I will be disgusted later when the fans are cheering on Saturday night's main event. But that's another <laughs> conversation for later in the show. Oh, man. Bloodthirsty uh, fans in this era. Not literally, but in the sense of, yeah, like, anybody who's on the other side of the line, just uh, there's nothing you can't do to them that is not justified, you know, so. Yeah. And that's why, though. You got to know these things, and if you want to make someone angry, you call out Haku as the next king of professional wrestling, and then you take up WWF television time by listing all of his virtues and how courageous he is and how wonderful he is. While Vincent Man probably damn near flips the announce table over, you just do it. You don't you don't succumb to the narrative across the table. You make your own. Absolutely, stand your ground. You love it. Um, we get, uh, the whole coronation. We have Andre opening the ropes for Haku, which is another nice touch. And, uh, yes. Haku gets carried out on a throne this time, not by family members, but by, um, some faceless peons. So. Absolutely. Long live the king. Jesse Ventura says Andre isn't going to hold the ropes off for just anybody, you know? Absolutely true. Big show of respect. Love the giant. So again, something else I would not have expected from this show because the King has always always been just a throwaway thing for me. Uh, later on, we'll get to Triple H, uh, who will not he does not want his crown, he does not want his scepter because they're tacky, and he'll keep destroying them on purpose. And then Vince will buy him another one and he'll destroy it again. But you know what? Right now we got men who are willing to sit in their gimmicks and to wear the crown. And you know what? We celebrate them because Harley Race did a good service. It's not his greatest run, of course, but he was good in the air, and I am excited uh, to see Haku in this era as well. Yeah, I never knew a guy who nicknamed himself the King of Kings was so averse to being mm. a king, so something Great like that. <laughs> All right, move on to uh, our next bonus segment. I'm very, I'm especially excited about this one. Um this is, uh, you can see this on the April 25, 1988 episode of Primetime Wrestling on the WWE Network, if you've got it. Uh, if you want to see the Coronations, I'm sure they're on there somewhere. We just found them on YouTube, not hard to find, so search that up if you like. This one's definitely on the network, I just told you where. Rick Rude is in the ring, you just beat a jobber, you don't have to watch the jobber match, because I'm sure it's just uh, like any other Rick Rude jobber match. He's with Bobby Heenan. And he's doing his shtick, and he's another guy who had a post-match thing, um, like so many people had in this era. We haven't seen this one as much, but basically he beats somebody with the rude awakening, and then he does another kind of rude awakening, which is kissing a lady in the audience. Um, so they identify a lady. They want to uh, receive this uh, other rude awakening. They're inviting her to come into the ring, but this time... Uh, she doesn't want to come into the ring. She doesn't seem very interested. She doesn't seem like she really wants to be on camera. So Rick Rude goes over to the railing. He's uh, he's hitting on her, you know. He's being a little bit pushy about it. Rude says uh, he's the reason 
she's here for the same reason every lady is to see him and she says no that is not true and uh there's something about this woman um and i mean that like not as part of the story this is my personal opinion there's something very striking about this woman i'll probably comment on it again she has a lot of presence um rick rude is here he's asking if he is the sexiest man in the wwf she also says no Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude, they have to take a minute to, like, confer about this and, uh, like, game plan a little bit. And Heenan gets offended when the camera kind of zooms into their conversation. Because, you know, this is private strategy. It's not just for anybody. <laughs> uh, Rick Rude asks her, finally, who she did come to see, if not him. She says her husband. And uh, I lo- immediately Heenan assumes it must be an usher or someone, uh, some loser who works in the building. <laughs> She says, no, it's a wrestler, and he immediately assumes it's the jobber that just got beaten up, and he says, oh, he'll be unconscious for a while, so it's okay. You can kiss Rick Rude, you know, while he's out. She says her husband, in fact, is Jake the Snake Roberts, and now now Rick Rude and Heenan, they look a little worried. The stakes are a little uh, heightened here. Rick Rude's a little upset that there's a woman who's not available to him. So he says he should have known because Jake is a sleazy, worthless piece of garbage. And he says that she is a lowlife, just like her husband, and everybody in her family is not worth anything. And he's laying into her, and Cheryl Cheryl Roberts, that's who it is, gets up and slaps him in the face. And the tension goes through the roof in this scene, because Rick Rude grabs her by the arm. He's yelling at her. He's furious. Even Heenan is kind of trying to back him off. And then Jake Roberts sprints from the back, not in his wrestling gear, soaking wet like he just came out of the shower or he just had a match early in the show. They start to fight. And it's not just Jake knocking Rude around because Rude Rude is ready as well. And the fight is harsh. Oh, man. this The tension of this is really just... I love the feeling of this whole segment because this brawl is all out. You have Heenan in there in the chaos trying to take his shots as well. You get jobbers running out to separate them, and it really looks like if they didn't come out, we could see somebody get crippled here. They just keep going after each other. Cheryl is selling her arm where she got grabbed. Everyone in this segment is so freaking good, and uh, I love this. I'm very glad to cover it, so I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to let my friend Mystic jump in here. No, I think that was perfect. Uh, well told you hit every kind of note a rude is so aggressive because in his mind you know what else would this woman be doing especially in the front row i think other than to see ravishing rick rude Mm. and so he keeps on taking ground and her answers are always like one word like he says am i right and she says wrong uh is rick rude the sexiest man in wwf no so she's giving as short an answer as you can while still giving him the worst answer like that there can be. And I think the only thing the number one and all the other thing is Bobby Heenan is so funny and so on point and so genius again in this with all the, the Usher comment, the the jobber comment. So uh that's on point and then when he finds out that it's Jake Roberts, I think he wishes he hadn't been so aggressive. He's taking so much ground that there's no way to back out and get back over all that land that he took. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you're just stuck in it. And it almost felt like, as far as this being a good angle, like, tense and tension, 
it felt like if, if Jake Roberts didn't come out in like the next five seconds, the fans were kind of like, um, am I supposed to do something or at least try to, uh, you know, like break this thing up? Like, I think something <laughs> would have happened uh, one way or the other if Jake Roberts had not come out. <laughs> it was a wild sure. segment. No, I've, uh, the feeling of it is so, um, man, I'm struggling to really articulate it. But when I think of why in this era you have so many guys who are never world champion, not even really in main events most of the time, and yet are considered like huge stars, one of the big reasons, I think, is because they were so good at doing angles like this. Like, this is an all-time, this is like a career peak angle that anybody could do. Um, I think it is for these two guys. Uh, like anybody would lucky be lucky to have an angle this hot in their whole career. And Rick Rude and Jake Roberts have not even been guys we've been super excited about in this series. But you do an angle like this, and what was a snooze fest at WrestleMania will become something totally different now that you have this story behind it because it is so gripping and it feels so authentic. Authentic, I think, is one of the words I was reaching for here. You believe everybody in this segment. You believe Cheryl Roberts with her short answers. Like, she doesn't want to be there. She doesn't want to be part of this. She's not trying to play a role. You have Rick Rude, who looks upset. You have Bobby Heenan, who looks worried. You have Jake Roberts, who looks absolutely furious that this is happening. Everyone is so keyed in. This is such a great angle. Yeah, and I think there's something as this progresses and we'll see more of it on the, on the Saturday night's main event. But I think in his mind and in, in reality, in his consciousness, like Jake, nobody wants this. Like, you know, the moment that you call out like someone's spouse and they, they're not part of the business, like you've just opened a door that seriously is going to do nothing but piss anybody off. And Jake Rogers plays that pissed off role so well. But I, I do feel like as the feud goes on, even if it's not in his consciousness, there's got to be something glad deep down because, like, how many people probably, without even thinking it, thought, oh, my God, I, I, I hate Rick Rude, and, like, I would love to see him get his. But, like, I'm not in a program with him. But now you have given me an excuse to give you what probably half the locker room wants to give you, and I will be justified at any level of giving it. And it's the perfect thing, too, because, like, part of the whole deal of Rick, like, his gimmick is basically, like, I'll make fun of you for being a slob and then I'll steal your girlfriend, your wife, you know, cause I'm sexier. And that's like the fear, the subconscious fear that he's playing off of. And now you have where like, he just took it one step too far. He picked the wrong wife, the wrong girlfriend. And now he's going to get that come up and said, Oh, I bet he'll think twice now before he hits on my girlfriend. Cause you know, he'll be afraid of what might happen. So I, it's just, there's something so smart about the way this is put together. It's so character-driven, and it's so, like, there mentally with everything that goes into these two guys. Yeah, and Cheryl kind of gives off to something similar to Jake and that they both keep their heads down. Mm-hmm. So they're, like, you know, you might think for a moment it'd be easy to approach them and get the best of them because they kind of got their head down. But when you make them lift their head up, you wish that you didn't. <laughs> There is something incredibly striking about Cheryl Roberts. I think if I would, I think I read that she didn't even really want to have a lot of spotlight in this feud. She wasn't that comfortable with it, but I don't think you know it from watching it because here she's really good uh, in the promo later. We're going to watch. She's really good. Um, there's just some like there's this 
energy field around her that just, I don't know, like she's got some kind of aura that always really strikes me when I watch these segments. I think part of it for me is that it feels like she doesn't want to be there and it, it mm. brings this uncomfortable, you know, like if it was someone, let's hire someone who wants to be an actor and then, oh, they jump up and they do a little dance before they slap him and they're like, oh, my name is blah, 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 by the way, you can hire me over here at this, you know, <laughs> then, then we're, we're kind of outside the story, but right. even in the promo, like you said, like she has a one line at the end, but before that, it's like, I'm not really here, you can't see me, like this isn't happening, is kind of what she's uh, embodying and that's what that's the the current that runs through this feud because if it doesn't feel like that then what is the point of this right absolutely and it's not like um the way she plays it is so interesting because it's not like oh i'm a shy woman i don't want no it's like almost like you said like you you don't want me to you don't want this you don't want to get involved with what's going on here because uh, you'll regret it um and it's almost just like yeah she's just trying to avoid um, her husband trying to murder this man for the next six months. Um, but of course, uh, it's all for nothing because murder indeed is what is attempted. Yeah. I've already made clear that I would not be up for being a world champion. I would rather be a world champion than start a feud with Jake Roberts in his personal life. Oh my God. Right. Like that's <laughs> it's none of my business, Jake. I haven't seen anything. Um, I'll keep on walking, but Rick rude. He knows, like you said, I think that's one great, another great thing you pointed out. When that tide turns and you find out like why she is there and who whose name gets said, you really can feel like, oh shit, can we just start over again? <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially from Heenan, like he doesn't want this confrontation. And we're gonna talk about it later, but look at the chain of events that this kicks off. Like this affects way more than just Rude and Jake. And you just know that Heenan did not want to get involved with Jake Roberts, and uh, it's gonna cause him pain and anguish and so many problems to him and his family as this goes on this will do in one night what hulk hogan couldn't do in two or three years <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh, and you know jake is just that dangerous so man i love this this is the start of jake roberts being involved in like eight of the top 10 angles of everything that's going to happen from here to like 1992. Like, I don't know if it's his own influence on his booking. I think it may be. Cause I know at one point he was promised like a top creative spot in the company, uh, which didn't go through unfortunately. But when people talk about like the wrestling mind of Jake Roberts, I think of all of these great angles that he's going to be involved in. Cause we're, we're talking about two on this show and they're already two of the best angles. I think we've covered in this whole legacy series so far. Yes. Jake definitely needs to be plugged into a great story. And like you said, we're going to start seeing it more often all the way through uh, the early nineties. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, up to this point, uh, we haven't, we haven't been that interested in Jake Roberts because like he's, he's feuding with honky tonk man. Who cares? <laughs> Few rookie steamboat is pretty good, but it wasn't like you know not like not a big story behind it. Like he DDT'd him on the floor, sure he does that to everybody. He does that for breakfast probably, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but now yeah, I don't know. We're gonna get a lot of really uh, in depth angles with Jake Roberts. I'm very excited to go through it. Yes, absolutely. This is this is another thing I didn't say, but Randy Savage is kind of. I used to kind of think, oh, he's in the Hogan-Andre era, but it feels almost like there's a whole world and an era that we've already called 
Then there's Randy Savage standing by himself on the outside, and then there's an era that is to come with even Macho King and Warrior, and we were about to talk about Brain Busters and others. Like there's, there's an era that is to come. There's an era that's gone by, and Randy Savage is kind of dancing outside of both of them, like in between the two eras. <laughs> One thing you definitely discover when you go back to look at this era is it's so much bigger than you think it is. Yeah. If you look back and you see like the pay-per-views and it's like, oh, well, one day it's WrestleMania 3 and then it's WrestleMania 4, basically. And so, but man, like, the months, the weeks, the days in between uh, are made up of a lot of uncharted territory that uh, it, it, it's hard to go back and watch because it, it, there's not a weekly Raw in the same way. There's not uh, monthly pay-per-views where you can kind of follow from one month to the next. But man, there is so much rich stuff there. So uh, discovering the sheer size of this era is something you kind of have to see to believe. Yeah, it is. It, we're talking about, uh, with Randy Savage, we were talking about like, we need a space element. We need something otherworldly. We need something damn near spiritual to even talk about this person. And so you can have a space element and you can also be the world champion. And sometimes you can be like outshone. And I said, what, what, what world are we living in? So it's just, <laughs> I, again, I think you, you could, we could stay in the 80s for the rest of our lives and, you know, there would still be something to unearth here. Absolutely. So true. So true. Speaking of Randy Savage, we do have our next piece of bonus material. Uh, this is from the October 24th, 1988 episode uh, coming from Madison Square Garden. As we talked about before, they uh, put these house shows um, on uh, local broadcast a lot of the time, and they were fully produced with commentary and everything, and I really enjoy these shows because they're just a little bit outside of canon, and uh, you get to do some things that may or may not be allowed to exist in the main space of the WWF at this time. Uh, so the match we're covering from this is the match for the WWF Championship. It is Randy, Randy Savage versus Andre the Giant, in a match of two guys who apparently do not like each other, as we learn the story with the baby oil and uh, Randy Savage refusing to not wear it, which I think uh, you'd think he would have regretted it, but <laughs> with him, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, man, I will tell you this. I love these Madison Square Garden because, like you said, it is outside of canon, but it has its own look, its own feel. And so I pulled it up, and I kind of just hit play on it, and Savage is going to come out first. And so I watched Savage's entrance, and it was so good that I hit pause to come back and watch later. And when I came back, I just went back to the beginning just to watch <laughs> Savage as world champion with Elizabeth, baby faces, Madison Square Garden again. And I see the growth in ways that I haven't with Savage and Liz because Savage and Liz were kind of like, hey, we're mid-card people, you know, wrestling George the Animal Steel. And now... Savage already seems like Macho King without the gimmick, mm. and Elizabeth is now called the first uh, the first lady of wrestling, contemporary but traditional, all this stuff. You know they have risen to occupy some kind of throne, and they never did it in a like it was never done in an obvious way. They just kept moving forward, and it felt like something like a culmination to watch them in Madison Square Garden like that. Absolutely. I'm really glad we were able to check this match out. We do have Savage looking phenomenal. He's got the great outfit. He's got the great vibe with Liz, and there's no Hogan in sight. And you get just that glimpse of uh, the real Savage title reign, which uh, we didn't get a lot 
of opportunity to see, but uh, it is great to watch. I, I totally am with you here. And uh, speaking of entrances, Heenan and Andre walking down that famous backstage hallway, that great shot that I always love them doing in uh, Madison Square Garden. Man, there's something iconic about it all. There is, and Andre is cool as ever, like nonchalant coming out in Madison Square Garden and, you know, rejecting history and just being in the moment. We don't yet know Hulk Hogan is the next world champion. So for that moment in time, Hulk Hogan is no longer in the world title picture. Andre the Giant still is. Mm. So that's another. Is Andre and Hogan continue to keep on? Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes tells us that Savage used the champion's uh, prerogatory to come out first. And so that's interesting. And then also the fact that Andre is legit twice the weight of Randy Savage. Uh, absolutely. Um, the commentators here, Lord Alfred Hayes, Billy Graham again, and uh, a guy named Ron Trongard, who did uh, some of these Madison Square Garden shows. And uh, Trongard says, it's impossible to think about Savage pinning Andre. And that's what Savage is up against, you know, with all his uh, speed and with all his space element, all his ability to be in more places at once. Um, this is what the guy was up against, you know, commentators who would look at him, look at his opponent and say, it is impossible that the champion could pin the challenger in this match. That's a tough thing to, to fight up against. It is. And, and it's a rematch because they've already wrestled and Randy Savage lost the match by count out. Oh, man. I wish that was my first choice for uh, I, I knew I wanted to watch a Savage Andre match. And I've seen the previous one, the one from uh, September. And that's another great thing is you get, like, mini continuity on these uh, region-specific shows. But, man, that match, to see Andre reach over the, you know, like he does, reach out from the ring and grab Miss Elizabeth, like, that provoked a strong reaction in me when I saw it because uh, that, like, that that can't happen. Like, that's not allowed to happen. I wish I could have found that match. This is a very good match. That match, though... Uh, was even more striking to me. So uh, it's a great one, too, if you can possibly find both matches. I don't know how true this is, but I also heard that he would just yell out Elizabeth's name while he's wrestling Savage just to try to piss him off because of that of their feud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't hear it, but uh, I won't say it's impossible. I yeah. mean, he definitely did things his own way. This is so beautiful because like the Hogan-Andre is so good in that H- Hogan is both overmatched by Andre, but then when he grows into his, like, second jet pack or whatever the hell he's got in his chest, you know, he's as big as Andre, and he can slam Andre. Randy Savage cannot grow into anything that can just have its way with Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, he runs into Andre's corner to start the match, and Andre just puts out his hand and does a stationary choke without even moving his body or his arm, just stationary choke catching a running Randy Savage. Mm. And what do you do with that? Yeah, no, it's tough. Uh, Randy Savage here is um, a meteor flying through space, and when you hit a planet, guess what? The planet wins, you know? That that meteor, no matter how hot it is, is not going to take down a planet, so he's got a huge task to try to overcome here. Yeah, a couple of great moments after that. The way Savage is selling, every time Andre hits him, he is, his body kind of bends in half, so just out like a punch, mm-hmm. and the upper body bends away from the lower body. And then when Savage finally gets an offense in the corner, Andre's singlet is sliding off his shoulder, 
And I love that he doesn't fix it. He just lets Savage well on him instead of just being like, oh, let me fix this thing that's happening. And then I'll pretend like you're beating me up again. You know, so they really feel like they're in this struggle, in this battle. Uh, so good stuff out of both of them. Absolutely so. I mean, uh, maybe you could tell if you're looking for it that Andre didn't like Savage. I definitely heard that before I watched the match as well. But I, I don't know. Watching the match, it doesn't really occur to me. You know, they just seem to work well together. Uh, Andre, with his simple offense, is very on point. Savage sells everything very well. And, hey, when Savage gets his shots in, um, it's not like Andre is ignoring it or no-selling it or anything like that. Like, Savage gets in with his jabs, and Andre sells those. We get a moment where Andre uh, slumps down against the ropes, and we get a great pop for that because Andre made it mean a whole lot when he did that. Yet Andre eventually, he'll be stumbling, he'll be falling, he'll be on his back. Uh, there's a lot here to praise, I think, on both sides. So if they really did this while hating each other, I guess it's even more to their credit because I think they put on a really excellent match here. I agree. It's very heated. Uh, Savage at one point will come at Andre. Andre will kind of no-sell, knock him off. He comes at him again. And he comes different and stronger. He doesn't try to do the same thing. Eventually, he does both a double axe handle, but all in the form of a chop. So like he, he combines the double axe handle and the chop to try to get at Andre because, by God, you've got to do something extra and you've got to do something else. Yeah, it's a real master class from Savage, just in that you get a very real sense that he's trying anything and everything to get at Andre. Um, he, he, he's desperate even perhaps, um, but he's just looking for anything that is going to be successful here. Yeah. I enjoyed this match a lot. The only disappointment, uh, is the, the outcome of the match, which is, you know, a disqualification, which is fun. You know, yeah. No, uh, to. <laughs> we do. Um, Savage, uh, jumps from the top rope to the floor to knock Andre down. You get the great visual of Heenan trying to like pick up Andre and get him back into the ring. And you can guess how that went. Um, we do get Savage uh, being grabbed by Heenan by the legs to try to keep him out of the ring. Uh, but the referee sees it. It's a disqualification. Um, we get a great uh, little post-match thing of Heenan still holding on to Savage. And Savage just like booting Heenan in the head savagely uh, as um, Andre comes over as he lumbers over. At the last minute, Savage gets free, dodges Andre, beats up Heenan escapes with the WWF championship and uh, Andre after the match does some damage to the commentary table, puts his hands over his ears so he doesn't have to hear the fans booing him. Man, great stuff. And this is another point that is it not an error like in a in a poor era with Randy Savage becoming babyface would mean that no matter who his opponent is, he would beat them like Hulk Hogan might be an opponent because he's the babyface champion now. Mm. You know, so to watch Randy Savage as babyface champion who barely gets out with his life and needs to be thankful for it, it doesn't hurt Randy Savage in my eyes. It's just it's authentic to the context that was before him. And again, it just makes me think, my God, this guy is a fighter. He's a scrapper. And how is it that I can watch Andre the Giant almost have his way with Randy Savage, and this is the second time, and still, if you put him in a third match, I would have no idea who would win it between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if they ever wrestled again. 
I don't know. Like, they did a few. I was just looking that up. I'm, I'm going to pull that up again. Um, because, yeah, uh, you're definitely right that Savage never um, pinned uh, Hogan. Or uh, never pinned Andre. Now I can't find it now. But, yeah, what, if they fought again or not, they did not uh, successfully mm-hmm. resolve their difference at any point. So the Savage-Andre feud will be forever in limbo. It's too bad, because, like, he put over Hogan, he put over, um... Warrior. Warrior, yeah. Never put over Savage, so take that for what you will, I guess. And his legacy, which is already great, Andre Dada's era, it was, to me, would have just been lifted to yet another height. Mm-hmm. You know, because the thing that he... Like, what does it say about him that, he, you know, putting over everyone who kind of come through this era, but that damn baby oil, man. You know, there are lines. Actually, I think after, uh, yeah, I know the baby. <laughs> I think after Survivor Series, they're going to wrestle on Saturday night's main event. So we'll get another, at least one more, Savage okay. Andre confrontation. I'm ready for it. I am too, because, like, even without a finish, I enjoy these matches. I think they're very well done. So. All right, we got one more, I think, on the bonus, and it's interesting. Yes, a very interesting uh, match. So this is uh, immediately after it's on the October 25th. 1988 episode of primetime wrestling we get the debut of an act that i am extremely excited about this is one of my favorite acts in this or any era uh we go to the ring we have mike mcgurk as our ring announcer and a special shout out for mike mcgurk because uh she'll be around for quite a while and she'll she'll receive a lot of abuse from heenan but uh she does a good <laughs> job so uh heenan comes out he's got an announcement he says he promised in 1988 there would be new additions to the family. He's presenting two right now. It is Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, the Brain Busters. We get them out here. They're going to wrestle Scott Casey and Sam Houston. We've got Alfred Hayes and Sean Mooney, of all people, yes. on commentary. Uh, it's, it's an interesting mix of a bunch of different stuff, but I really enjoy this. I'm glad we got to put it on the show. I think if Vince McMahon had really wanted someone to like, come after him, Sean Mooney could have filled that kind of Vince McMahon uh, role in the booth of just, you know, oh, I, I, I declare something. <laughs> it's declared. <laughs> uh, I love Sean Mooney, man. I think I he does do. a good job with this role. I, yeah. I absolutely Between WWF and the NWA, don't say a bad thing about Sean Mooney in front of me. No, never do. Wish he'd been around uh, even longer. So I don't know. I don't know his story. I don't know what he did besides wrestling. He must have done something, but uh, yeah. he always does a very good job whenever he's around. Usually, Vince's selections means you either work in journalism somewhere else outside of wrestling, or you are a model or a bodybuilder. <laughs> Those are your three options. <laughs> Usually, um, I'm going to guess he wasn't a, a model or a bodybuilder, so maybe something in journalism. I can uh, see him working in journalism. I, I I think I knew his story and I don't anymore. But he also has his own podcast, so check that out if that interests you, uh, where he interviews people. And, you know, he brings that same flair that he brought in WWF to it. So Sean Mooney kind of is is who he is through and through. Yeah, because you think of him just like in the event center. Um, But, yeah, yeah, he did a a lot of like lower tier commentary on like weird little matches like this uh, or on like home video releases. He would host or do commentary. Uh, he took over a prime time with Bobby Heenan kind of late in the uh, era where they were kind of in a studio audience setting, did a bunch of those episodes. There's a lot of Sean Mooney stuff around if you really want to find it. Yeah. Uh, but man, we have this match and I got to say, it's so great. 
to see the Brain Busters. Um, everything about these two. Like, I probably don't have to sell people on how great Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard are, but man, I really think this might be the greatest tag team of all time. They probably are my favorite personal tag team of all time. Everything about them is so intentional. The offense they do, the holes they put on, the way they sell, the way they react to their opponents, to the crowd, to their manager, to everything, like right down to their body language. These guys are just master craftsmen. They are. They do not walk in to WWF with an attitude of, we're nobody, can you make us, Mr. McMahon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They walk in like they fucking own the place. <laughs> and it's crazy because they are such a weird fit for this era of like yes. very colorful, very gimmicky wrestling. Um, but these two are so good, they can fit in literally anywhere, and they will rise to the top of the tag division, and I love them for that. Yeah. There are just so many moments. So you're going to get stuff like a sunset flip attempt on one of the brain busters where they make a tag so that, uh, you, you know, you spend, spend like 12 seconds trying to pull me down in the sunset flip, then spend three seconds trying to pin me. I'm not the legal man type stuff. And then I love when Sam Houston jumps up on the shoulder of Tolly Blanchard to try to do a victory roll and Arn Anderson from the apron just south paws his head and his, off his shoulders and his body off of Tolly Blanchard. Oh, man, I love these moments because the Brainbusters are so good at coming at you from ways that you would not expect. And then after they do it, you're like, why would anybody ever not do that? Like they do something which is both unexpected and yet so practical at the same time. It's brilliant. I love these guys. Yes. And any Arn Anderson fan is waiting for the Spinebuster. He will hit the Spinebuster, and they'll be like, that's kind of like a cradle power slam. A lot, kind of like what the big boss man does. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. They, um, Alfred Hayes does put over both guys in particular as being like great talents coming in the door. He's very vague about it, of course. And then, yeah, they have to frame it all in the, uh, the, the context of what's happening in the WWF at this time. It's like, well, you, you probably borrowed that from the big boss, man, you know, of course, but it, you know, it's Arn Anderson and his spine buster. So we, we know what's going on. Visit man. And kind of rightfully so, you know, he wants to own everything. So, you know, everything gets another name. I can't remember the wild thing. If that was a shooting star press, but, um, when Mark Merrow finally got a finisher, which is the wild thing, uh, Bruce Pritchard was ranting about Jim Rawls having to say, oh, I hear um, I hear Mark Merrow's got a new finisher, and we'll know it when we see it. And it's called The Wild Thing, and then uh, when he hits it, Jim Rawls is like, that's The Wild Thing. It's a, it's a shooting star in the press. <laughs> and, you know, they, they just got so pissed off because the whole goal is not to call it that. Good Lord. Oh, uh, God. That's a, that's a gross story, for God's sakes. The... the, the, the... No, I don't care. I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> that is WWF, though. That's so, like, oh, my God. Like, if you ever read 1984, it's like it's not enough to just be in charge. You also have to, like, just control the way people think yeah. and, like, the words that they say out of their mouths. And, uh, you know, history was always this way because we said it was, even if you know it wasn't. So, like, just calm the hell down. You're not going to lose any fans because Jim Ross said the word shooting star press, for God's sake. Uh, no, you had bigger no. problems in whatever year Mark Merrow was doing his finisher for the first time. Yes, so sir. Just calm and, down. We will, and we will cover it. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Jeez. Uh, that's the way it is, though. Anyway. 
Bruce Prichard was going on. This is the last thing I'll say because this is on the same topic. You know, Diesel failed for 110,000 reasons. Number one, they never should have been the champion in that moment. But we'll get to that when the time comes. And I will be quoting uh, some things from this. But he tried to put like 99% of the blame on Jim Ross because Jim Ross called him Kevin one time and talked about him being a basketball player. He's like, Diesel was a badass and everybody loved him. And then you called him Kevin and, you know, that's not who they love. They love the badass Diesel. And I get his point, but the fact is, if you were watching that era, they didn't fool, they didn't really love either of them. <laughs> that is true. And also, I don't even get his point. Because um, what, it's like, are we supposed to believe that he didn't have, like, just his, his mother named him Diesel, no yes. last name, and just, like, good God. So you do get down. it. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> not, this is not like, like, I've heard, um, I, I guess I get it to some extent, because I've heard when Jim Ross was coming in, and you might have told me this, actually, but uh, Undertaker was like, if he starts talking yeah. about my basketball career, you know, then <laughs> we have a big problem. And I get that, but it's a little different with Diesel. Like, Diesel is not even a gimmick, okay, in the first place. You're just a guy named Diesel, and it's just different. So, for God's sake, calm down. All right, that's all I got. Yeah, and it, we'll, we'll get to all the problems. There, there'll be a lot to go around the era, but... <laughs> Even the fact, like, Shane McMahon, I think, named him Diesel because, like, Diesel was slaying at the time, you know. But then, at the next point, and Conrad, who rarely gets anything right, at least suggested, but then you had a truck, like, coming out, like, when he came out. So, is it, like, a slang term, or is it, like, he's a truck? And then they're like, well, it's a little bit of both, and there's your problem, right? The problem is not with Kevin Nash, the name. The problem is that the gimmick itself is a watered-down nothing burger of black glove and tr like fucking truck, you know? So <laughs> it can't be, Oh, what was this? But it's also that like, you don't split Hulk Hogan like that. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that's for sure. I would say some of the problem is with Kevin Nash. Oh yeah. I mean, it's not with saying the name Kevin Nash. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. That's true. a lot of the hey, problem. <laughs> calling him Kevin. He was probably more popular in uh, WCW than he was in WWF, you know, in Thank all you. honesty. And you know, he helped kill that company without a doubt. But uh, not for nothing, like, he was very popular on his own um, in a real way and not a, you know, you're the only one we've got way, so. I said that while I was listening to it, so I was glad to hear that because they act like, you know, like Lex Luger failed as the All-American, so he's a failure. Well, he was more popular than not only his WWF run, but pretty much anybody in WWF in 1997 in WCW, but they don't talk about that. Kevin Nash was easily more popular at the height of his WCW run than his Diesel, but then just don't talk about it. So it's all the same. You might ask, why, what are we talking about? But this is why you compare it. Instead of just saying the spine buster, you're like, oh, that's like the big boss man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guess what? Yeah. Uh, big boss man, if anything, is like Arn Anderson, not the other way around. So let's all, let's all get it right here in our history. So, I wonder if Arn does the DDT in this run. I don't know if he does it or not. I, I don't know. We're going to have to keep a careful eye out for it because um, I can definitely easily see them saying don't do the DDT because that's a Jake thing. Um, yeah. And not even like – I won't even say they're wrong about that necessarily because one problem you get on – uh, shows today is everyone has the same like big spots big moves and uh, they all kind of blend together so maybe he won't do it and i won't complain about that you know as good as he is at the ddt uh, i won't complain about it 
Fair enough. The last thing I want to say this is just Lord Alfred Hayes was hitting on a lot of high cylinders. I enjoyed it. At the end, he says, a very competent professional victory for the Brain Busters. (laughs) It's funny to watch um, these guys, like, try to wrap their heads around the Brain Busters because it's, like, a very different sort of thing. Uh, They go back to, like, the whole segment in primetime, and even Grill Monsoon is like, well, you finally got a team that looks like they're worth something. And, like, (laughs) even he can't come out and, like, trash these guys because they're just – being like incredible professional wrestlers like that's their gimmick and you can't take a shot at that really you know it's very hard to uh, go against that especially since arn anderson was did not debut at, at his trimmed down arn anderson way he was like a heavy arn anderson and i don't know how vince would have felt about that but to me that's just about 50 pounds more reason why i just say yeah he's great everything he did is great <laughs> just keep keep walking on Anderson. I have nothing but good things to say. Please don't hit me in the head with your left fist. Yeah, good lord. Um, so we have the Brain Busters. They're on the board. We're gonna see a lot more of them. And here we're really getting into. Um, I'm still mourning the loss of Strike Force. They'll be back for a little bit eventually. But this is like the best tag team era that we're getting into now. Heart uh, Foundation is getting better. Yeah. Bulldogs are going to kind of be going away after a little while. We've got Demolition, like, at their top. we got the Rockers coming in. Uh, we've got the Brain Busters here now. Just this, there's going to be another 10-team um, match at Survivor Series. I'm very excited to go through that because that is a lot of great stuff in the tag division right now. Yeah, that's when Arn Anderson, Arn Anderson ranks, I think, maybe within the top five, maybe within the top three Spine Busters of his career, the one he puts on Shawn Michaels at Survivor yeah, Series. Yeah, I'm excited can be good stuff so yeah this is i'll get to it again I, gonna, you've heard it before said it before and i'm going to like rant and rave and yell when we finally get to it but over a hundred times i know going to bed like my brother and i when we were growing up watched the best of saturday night's main event and it seems like it's all from one era if not one show because it, it has uh the brother love show with hogan getting beat up by boss man and akeem and it has brain busters versus michael's and Janetti and that stuff all has to be on the horizon and all I see is just like a bright yellow that pierces like my my sight in my world when I think about it and I cannot wait to get to both of those <laughs> that's phenomenal I love that if we ever uh, we never will but if we ever get into my uh, early like my 2003 stuff that, that you're gonna be hearing the same stuff from me just there's nothing like the first stuff that really hooked you in to make you a fan you know it's uh, it's just cool it's cool to hear about yeah, you know what Steve Austin says, right? What does he say? Never say never. <laughs> True enough. I love we'll it. See. All right, so it's October 29th, 1988. is Saturday night's main event. And if you listen to this show, you know Rapid Fire commentary is coming. It starts with Jake, uh, starts with Jake Roberts and uh, Cheryl making out on the camera. They're not overcompensating for anything here, folks. Nothing to see. Uh <laughs> Pleasure and pain, says Jake Roberts. Rick Rude, there are some pleasures you will never get to know, and uh, you'll know everything there is to know about pain after tonight. So Jake Roberts has his sights set. <laughs> what a, like, this is sort of a shocking uh, image here, um, but I, I think in a good way. Like, I, don't, I, I, I see them making out. And they've got like the snake wrapped around them, and he's talking about pleasure and pain. And God, there's something like in this is like 
I don't know. I can't even articulate it right now. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but, like, it's very striking. I'll just say it that way. Here's something I will say, because I've been trying to figure out the Cheryl thing since you've been saying this to try to help put some narrative into it. It may, you know, maybe when you're young or if you're naive or if you're shallow, but, you know, whatever, it's your business. But, you know, maybe at some point in your life you think, oh, the ideal person is what is considered by most to be the sexiest person in the world. Rick Rude's waist is 14 inches um, and he flexes and he has big muscles when he does. It. He has a mustache in the 80s. Uh, but this woman was never into him, like even for half a second. And when you see her making out with Jake Roberts with a snake wrapped around them, you might think, hey, some people are into other things that are not so obvious. <laughs> I, I think that's part of it. It's like you feel like she must know something that nobody else knows because yeah. like Jake's not handsome. He's kind of dark and creepy, but there's something magnetic about him. There's something magnetic about her, too. And it's like you don't even know who this person is, but you believe maybe she connects. She collects snake venom and poisons people. You know, there's like a dark energy around her. Um, I don't know. That's the best I can say it, I guess. It's funny because like the way that everything that would put most people off of Jake Roberts is seems to be what she's also into and attracted to. And so Rick Rude's coming to the front row as a bad boy, you know, doing his thing. And he probably looks like the safest, tamest, most predictable thing on the planet. And he has no idea that he looks that way to her. Right. Yeah. Like just the the element of danger around Jake uh, translates to Cheryl Roberts. And I'm just a huge fan. This is the only thing she's going to do. I don't think we'll see her again after this, but I got to praise her. Whether she wanted to be there or not, I think she did a fantastic job, and there's just something very striking about her and this whole angle. Yeah, they look like they've been somewhere. There might have been some some ceremonies in the basement. <laughs> yeah. Right, like they've been naked, covered in blood, and just like God knows. God knows what these freaks did, but man, there's something darkly magnetic about them. Yes, I agree 100%. Um, Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude. Are next up. Disturbing in a different way are these Cheryl Roberts tights that Rick Rude wears in this yeah. time. There's something like it's a fantastic visual and it's something that people remember. I think like even now, like you hear it talked about sometimes. Um, so it worked. It looks freaky as hell to me in a totally different way. But uh, I don't know. A lot of stuff went into this feud to make it what it was. And I really have nothing but good things to say about it. Yeah. Uh, he says that uh, Damien is going to be wrapped around Jake's neck at the end of the night, and Cheryl's going to be wrapped around mine. <laughs> Indeed, great line. Yeah, this is where, like, for not having very many uh, really good matches, this is where guys like Jake Roberts and Rick Rude uh, made their legacy, uh, made their legend, made the reason that people still talk about both of them today as guys who could have been uh, a world champion. Absolutely, you know. And once you lowered the bar to the warrior, like really anybody could have, anybody could have got there because, like I can see like any almost anyone you you get catch your warrior wrong and knock him in the head and that's that's what Sergeant Slaughter does. Like warrior is the reason that Sergeant that Sergeant Slaughter is the former world champion. <laughs> he was the pathway, absolutely. And that's I hear a lot of times uh, certain types of fans are like. Oh, I hate other fans because they just think everyone should be world champion. And I'm like, have you seen who has been world champion? Yeah. You know, like the fans didn't lower the bar. 
wrestling lowered the bar, you know, in all fairness. So, for God's sake, stop trying to blame the fans for something that uh, they're just responding to. They didn't create this world. I love the fact that Coco Beware somehow should not be in the Hall of Fame, but he damn sure should be a former world champion based on who's been world champion. <laughs> so, like, how does that work? Indeed. Indeed. It's sad. That's why I really you cannot ha- – I don't think you can have conversations easily across eras because yeah. you're just not talking about the same realities. Exactly. Yeah, so Slick and Bossman. Bossman is here to enforce the law of the land, and it's all constitutional because he's going to read you your rights. <laughs> Uh, my praise for Slick uh, heightens with every time we see him because uh, he's looking awesome in green here. And again, he's talking about some radical political stuff, talking about the Constitution and uh, justifying. And there's like, uh, it's very good stuff. I think they've created their own uh, rights. I think they read the I think they read the rights later in the show. So it's <laughs> great stuff. And rights, I also the right love to suffer or something. Yes. Yeah, Hulk Hogan though. Being in a feud that's not with the family again, but is high level. It just shows, like, Jimmy Hart had a hell of a run. He's kind of cooling off a little bit to me, coming back to where I remember. But then Slick has a hell of a run. So, like, Bobby Heenan, one of the greatest managers of all time, is in an era where there are people who have main event stuff above and beyond him at moments in time. Again, it's just, it's the same thing with, like, like, if Bobby Heenan is the greatest manager of all time and Hulk Hogan was the greatest, like, superstar of all time, there are moments where they're not even the best and the biggest in certain angles in the era they were in. Absolutely. Big praise to the managers of this era, the big five. We almost have them all together. Ian and Slick, Jimmy Hart, Mr. Fuji, and Sensational Sherry soon to come. Like, that's the big five. Uh, probably the best collection of managers he ever had. And, yes, I'm including Fuji because in spite of his uh, ineptitude, I'm still a big fan of Mr. Fuji. So, there you go. I will have a Fuji quote in a moment, so we'll get there. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. The Hart Foundation says they'll be the next tag team champions, and I, I am loving this like uh, string of matches between the Hart Foundation and Demolition. They're very good, yeah. We're going to see them uh, paired together many times, I believe, so uh, look forward to more of those. Demolition's up. Uh, Fuji says the proof will be in the pudding, and that, uh, that food reference has almost ended the show for me. <laughs> Yeah, bring out the mustard. <laughs> At least he didn't have a uh, pudding cup this time. So. Oh, oh. Uh, Hulk Hogan then is up there at the end, and he says, um, yeah, I can't read my writing. Uh, he criticizes Haku for sitting on his throne and thinking he's better than everyone else, uh, even though he is. God bless Haku. He brings in Liz, who is his manager tonight, and <laughs> fuck you, Hogan. Get your own manager, for God's yeah. sake. Like, why do you got to do this? You know? All right. And he's not going to have a manager after Liz in the comp, like, when they, they break up. Nope. And he didn't have a manager before, so I, I would also just like to know why he thinks he needs a manager right now, because I think I know why he needs a manager, and I oh, think it's... Oh, I the, think we all know why he wants a manager. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So Hulk Hogan pops up there last. He almost, like, some of his match will be like, oh, Hulk up and stuff. Like, that will be there. But, man, it's so hard for me because when I see him, I'm like, why am I excited that he's back? <laughs> like, it's, a, it's, it's hard, folks, because that's not the feeling. But It's weird, for sure. <laughs> I do have to say this. This is like, we all know Randy Savage, uh, extremely jealous Um, and it's a big character flaw on his part, um, and there's some bad stories about that, so um, that is bad, but it is what it is. This is a company 
that made the choice to book Randy Savage somewhere else. He's not in the show tonight. He's probably off doing some house show uh, somewhere else um, with DiBiase or somebody. And they sent Liz to be with Hogan. And this is Savage is a guy who went crazy like anytime he didn't know where Liz was and what she was doing. So, man, like, I don't know. I hope it's not true, but I got to I gotta think Randy Savage was probably going crazy, um, not just in character, but in real life over the way this was booked here. So, I don't, like, they're asking for trouble, and this right here is building this, like, weird love-hate extreme relationship that Savage and Hogan are going to have behind the scenes for a very long time. Yeah, I think Vince has a um, history for liking to put you in the moment that you you do the very thing like if he finds out you hate something or you're scared of something or you refuse something you can bet like you're gonna have to go through that in order to keep or earn your place in the in his world yeah even in this era we're we're slowly creeping past the era where vince um kind of needs everybody like all hands on deck to conquer the world like the, the world's kind of conquered at this point uh jim crockett is gonna have to sell out very Man. shortly, if he hasn't already. Um, he's on the ropes. Everyone else is pretty much gone. Um, so, yeah, uh, Vince is sort of uh, getting to a place where he can do whatever he wants, which is not not the best Vince McMahon, as we know. No, absolutely not. Though we do have one of the better Vince McMahons. He's in the announce booth. He's with Jesse Ventura, who had a, kind of has a new look with a bowler hat, looking like he's in some kind of mystery novel or something. I don't know what he's going for. Uh, these two, though, man... Year, years change, eras change, but for right now, the consistency of knowing Vince McMahon and Jesse are on Saturday night's main event it has been good for this uh, Legacy Series. You love to see it. They're a great pairing. Ventura makes fun of uh, Vince McMahon for, I guess, knowing Dan Quayle, uh, which shouldn't surprise me. Um, but uh, I don't know I don't know what would happen if these two really talked politics. I don't know if I would love to see that or hate to see that, but uh, it would be something to see, for sure. Yeah, cause I'm, I'm guessing Vince is a um Republican based on fiscal business, big business things, and Jesse Ventura is a wild card progressive. Uh and it starts to it starts to seep out a little bit, but you don't yet know the world that is to come. Like this is a this is a will be governor sitting in the announce booth right here. Yeah, my God. You're you're not wrong. So it's amazing. Oh, um uh, we start with a video package of Jake the Snake and uh rick rude and then we go to gene Okerlund and rude and bobby heenan indeed and uh before in that that um video package we do see uh jake promising to strip rick rude of his tights if he keeps wearing them and then he keeps his words so we get another step of the angle where uh rick rude is flopping around the ring uh with a little um black dot over his midsection so Live crowd got an interesting view that night, I guess. Yeah, Jake Roberts, who is a master of philosophy, a master of psychology, has kind of uh, he try, he wants to defeat Rick Rude, but he also wants to to take his pants off. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe you can have everything in life. Maybe you can't. We'll see. That's that's the struggle at hand here. <laughs> we will see those competing goals. Um, yes. Oh my! Backstage, Gene Okerlund asks a gyrating Rick Rude. Why he keeps wearing the tights when he could be uh, embarrassed by Jake Roberts at any time. And uh, in, we've talked before, uh, embarrassment is a powerful motivator in these feuds, so you give some credit to including that here. However, Rick Root says he can't 
be embarrassed about his body, um, which I think uh, is a very positive thing to say, even though he, he seemed a little embarrassed before, but uh, <laughs> what are you going to do with a heel? So, it's um, also Bobby Heen turns to Gene and says, listen and learn, you little humanoid. <laughs> Bobby Heen and Gene Ogerlin is uh, one of my favorite relationships. Great stuff. Yeah, Gene gets hypnotized by Bobby Heen, and this one falls asleep. So He does. He does. He also gets tricked by him later. So um, I didn't realize he got hypnotized, because he, twice he's going to push back against babyface narratives, which I think has never happened in this series. So maybe when Bobby hypnotized him, he put a little something extra in there. Uh, yeah, yeah, you may be right about that. So we go back to Gene Erkelin with Jake the Snake and Cheryl. Um, Jake and says, Urkel- uh, to insult a man, you have to be a man. So he's not insulted. And this kind of goes, I feel like you said something like that before. That uh, when this happened, Jake, uh, you know, it's not something you want to happen, but he sort of leans into this. And now yeah. we learn he's not even insulted personally. He's just insulted on behalf of Cheryl Roberts, and that's enough to uh, bring it all down. So, yeah, here we are. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jake says the Heenan family are like flies. He says Rude and his tights will go down tonight. Uh, <laughs> and Cheryl uh, has brought a fig, a very small fig. Uh, for Rick Rude to protect uh, what what was censored in the last video. Protect little Rick, she says. <laughs> little Rick. So. <laughs> oh, fun. I think Rick Rude really regrets it. Uh, I think that the this that second Rude Awakening thing probably ended after this. Oh no, it actually didn't. It continued oh, wow. on. <laughs> it should have. Yeah, perhaps so. Uh, Jake the Snake and Rude. This is just not someone you want to invite into your life. And we're going to find out. Miss Fan has already said it, but we'll get into the match. And then after how the chain of events, they do not stop with Bobby Heenan. And they do not stop with Rick Rude. Indeed. Now, I got to say, this is a match where we panned this match at WrestleMania. And rightly so, I think. We panned that in the past. Rick Rude performances, Jake Roberts performances. This this is probably one of the best matches either one of them wrestled. And it's amazing they did it with each other because uh, of everything we've seen up to this point. But, man, this is so hot. This is so character-driven. The fans are so into this. I really enjoy this match. I'm not going to come out and say, like, this is the greatest match you ever saw. This is Steamboat and Savage. This is Flair and Steamboat. Whatever your gold standard is, it's not that. It's a simple match, but it's a hot match. It's an exciting match. It really works, so I really got to praise everything that goes into this. Yeah, it is a good match, and I think... Everything about the feud disqualifies everything that we hate about them. There's no excuse <laughs> to be sitting in a chin lock for five minutes in a feud like this. Yeah, yeah. Both guys who are known for taking it slow uh, pretty much cut all of that out, and they take it fast. And uh, I don't know, it makes you think, like, if these guys have been motivated a little differently, who knows what their career might have looked like. Maybe they really would have been a world champion or something. Yeah. But, uh, no, they do a great job. They have a really good match here. I like when Jake sneaks up on him and, and gives him a hell of a clothesline at one point, and it just it was a nice visual. Ah, he really does. There's a lot of good stuff in here. I love uh, early on, Jake puts Rude into a wrist lock, and Rude like goes out to the apron, and he's gonna break it out, and uh, Jake just like drags him back in by the wrist, and it looks so painful, and it puts over that Jake like he's not gonna let any downtime go into this match if he can help it. Like he is hot. He's out to get Rude. Yeah, in a moment of clear babyface privilege, uh, Jake sets up Rick Rude in right blatantly in front of the referee on the ropes, holds uh, Rude's arms while Cheryl slaps him in the face while the referee watches on. Uh, Vince McMahon says, uh, 
Rude must have said something to her, and Jesse and Jerry says, why don't you for once in your life call something like it is? <laughs> and I love that because, yes, again, it just shows uh, it's just what side of the line you're on because that is just right out of the Bobby Heenan playbook uh, of lines that he will use um, whenever yeah. some, some heel manager gets involved. He's like, oh, well, he probably said something offensive. And, like, that's the justification when you want it to be the justification. Yeah, this thing is like this. Miss N said it twice. I think this thing is heated, uh, back and forth. It's hard hitting. It's you don't even know what Jake Roberts is going for. Like, is he going for the win? Is he going to hurt Rude? Is he going to embarrass Rude? Or is he, as he will accomplish, is he just trying to strip those pants of Cheryl Roberts off of Rick Rude? <laughs> and you know, I think it works. It sounds a little silly, I think, maybe when you say it, but uh, Jake Roberts, like, if he wins the match, great, I guess. But what he really wants to do, he wants to hurt. Rick Rude, he wants to embarrass Rick Rude, he wants to make Rick Rude regret ever even thinking about doing the things that he has done, about the disrespect he has shown to Jake and to Cheryl, and that's what he's really going for, and again, it goes to the idea like, oh, everyone has to be world champion, well, if you just want to be world champion, he'd probably just try to win the match and get a title shot, he doesn't even, he's not even thinking about that, you know, like, this is, this is so personal to him, this is not about the confines of wrestling. This is about a venue where he can physically hurt and embarrass Rick Rude legally and just do whatever he feels he needs to do in his sick, messed up reptile brain. Absolutely. I think the message to be taken from this is there are all different kinds of perverts in the world. <laughs> so if you want to be super obvious pervert, Rick Rude, just make sure that you don't like invite a different kind of pervert into your life. These <laughs> I think Cheryl and uh, and Jake are now playing their own game and getting off on their own thing that that Rude will never fully even understand at this point. Oh yes, you're right about that. I gotta say these perversions uh, beat the hell out of whatever the Brutus Beefcake's doing. So yes, <laughs> no, you're 100 percent right. But it does. I think more and more as we talk about it, it feels like they are almost just like have like Rude has now become a prop in the game that they're playing in their relationship at this point. Oh, absolutely. Have you ever seen, <laughs> this is random as hell, but have you ever seen uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I okay. don't know if I've seen it. Consider checking out. Basically, I say it because uh, in this, there's a husband and wife couple, and they, uh, they, they've they been married a long time. They're both extremely smart, and they're kind of bored, and they sort of don't like each other, but they sort of do, so they play <laughs> these elaborate games with each other, and they have this young couple over who has no idea what they're getting into, and they become... Mm -hmm pawns in this game between them and i definitely am getting that vibe when you say that where at this point jake and cheryl are they're kind of doing their own thing and maybe you know it's definitely in their relationship uh, i won't try to speculate how it gets them off exactly but yeah <laughs> they are they are now inflicting something on rick Rude that he did not expect that he was asking for yeah he is out of his depth and that's i think that's a, there's something about rude that he, he's very a singular line that yeah if you want to try to measure up in the game that the, the one game that Rude wants to play, you're probably going to lose to him. <laughs> but if you if you f figure out how to play any game except his one game, then you're going to you, you got the advantage on him. And I think Jake is teaching us that here. I don't think anyone's better at playing games than Jake Roberts. So that's uh, the, just just so much the wrong guy to mess that. And you know you know that Bobby Heenan knew it too because he was trying to head this off. As soon as he heard yes. that it was Jake, 
and he probably had a premonition of everything that was going to happen and um he couldn't stop it though and you know once you're in it you got to be in it you can't back down from it so uh poor Bobby Heenan he got put in a bad situation here that is Bobby earning the the name brain there because it is from the moment he he knows that's so well said like he knows this is going to be bad for himself it's going to be bad for Rude but like you you cannot back down you might as well just like buy your ticket down south, uh, God knows anywhere outside WWF is a shame, so you better just go with it. Oh man, great stuff. Great stuff. We're now, oh dear God, we are we are we are uh, coming to one of the most otherworldly performances. Like I don't even know how to say that this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen on WWF the Legacy Series, mm. but Andre the fucking giant. <laughs> so let's let's set it all up here. Yeah. Um, Jake hits the DDT after the uh, punch fake out, which is one of my favorite DDT setups. Um, Root is out. Jake uh, doesn't go for the pin. He goes after the tights. He promised he would. So, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. Uh, Heenan gets up, like climbs up on the turnbuckle. He motions to the back. Then he starts uh, kicking at Jake to try to get him off his man. Here comes Andre walking down the aisle. He's iconic. We know it. It's great as always. Jake and Heenan are struggling in the ring until Andre comes in. He whaps Jake. He knocks him around. And uh, Jake returns to the ring, of course. And uh, he's got Damien in his hands. And here's where things take a left turn to a place that you might not expect. Andre freezes. He seems like he's freaked out by this snake. The commentators the crowd everyone's trying to figure out exactly they're trying to gauge andre's reaction here because it's not what you would think uh you have keenan who's trying to like prod andre to attack jake andre he's not having it he's backing off he's telling bobby he doesn't like it he's showing fear he's doing such a great job and then jake roberts throws the snake into andre's face andre is freaking the hell out he's falling down he's clutching his chest Oh, and Jake is just, like, throwing the snake on him even more. Like, he's draping him on him continuously. He doesn't care what happens to Andre. He doesn't care if he's having a heart attack. Andre is passed out in the ring. Heenan finally enters when Jake leaves. We have Heenan trying to revive Andre. He's freaking out. He's trying to do CPR. Man, this is an angle that is just also so freaking brilliant. And you just have to listen to the crowd to hear how effective this angle was this is something nobody who saw it was ever going to forget I don't think I will ever forget it I know somewhere in the back of my mind I knew that Andre had a afraid of snakes angle but that is that's not the conversation the conversation is vulnerable Andre is every bit as effective as stand as a giant at Wrestlemania 3 Andre like when he freezes, the look of fear on his face, knowing that his what his body is, like you cannot escape by stepping over the top rope. That takes too much time. But you don't know if he has like the body mechanisms to like just drop and roll and get out of the ring. I don't, I don't know if he could. So you're watching a man who is absolutely trapped. This is a guy who every time he comes down to ringside in this Legacy series, he ends up with the back of someone's head and he ends up wreaking havoc. He took out the whole locker room and Hulk Hogan once, and now he's standing frozen and vulnerable at 
it's just so engaging. You can give me all the actors, uh, Roddy Piper, Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, the great actor of actors in this era who was a wrestler and an actor is Andre the Giant. And so much heart, so much fear, so much vulnerability. And then they give them like 10 minutes where like they can't have a next match because Bobby Heenan is freaking out and showing love and trying to revive Andre who might have had a heart attack. Like you could hate Andre and Bobby Heenan in this era and they would be baby faces just because, oh my God, I watched someone maybe have a heart attack and I watched another man care so much they tried to bring him back to life and you would just automatically be a baby face. But in this era, <laughs> what, you going to have a heart attack? You can be afraid, you can have a heart attack. Bobby Heenan can try to revive you and the narratives are still the narratives, the lines are still the lines. So I don't even know what I was watching. I'm like, oh my God, you can't get on 10 minutes of just like, Love and fear and vulnerability—they'll be baby faces, but no, they won't be. Ba- they won't be baby faces. No. <laughs> oh God, Definitely. I don't. Yeah, great it, stuff. Yeah, it is, and it's it, it's kind of unique to the fans of this era, or maybe not just to this era, but like this isn't something you could do in any era, you know, where you imply that maybe Jake actually killed a guy, yeah. um, you know, and just didn't care, and he's still the baby face. Like in some eras, that would be looked at more critically, but here it's just like good kill him he's bad you know yeah he he challenged hulk hogan you know he deserved <laughs> to die this whole time anyway so <laughs> oh my god but yeah no the real affection and concern that you see bobby heenan showing for andre and the way this is one of my favorite things in wrestling is when a show grinds to a halt to sell something my favorite episode of wrestling television ever is the one where the nwo like basically destroys nitro and nothing can happen for like like yes. almost an hour and this you know you get shades of that here because like nothing can happen for a while after this happened because by god the story the consequences like they don't just they they can't just go away when you stop thinking about it you know this this is what brings authenticity and i love it it's so great i agree a million percent another reason that i like the austin era so much is people are going to rightfully look if they're looking from outside they're like oh what a shitty era and all the wrestlers suck they didn't have good matches uh they it was it was continually like the the entire era is technical difficulties because austin won't like stop like harassing people everywhere telling people like i watched a promo of austin's the other day where anytime like brett or vince would try to speak he'd be like shut up and then like when uh he said something to Brett, and Brett took a second before he before he talked. He's like, "Say something!" So like, no matter what they did, there would be a problem. But I agree a hundred percent. Like, I love the shows. The difference is, like, that is an exercise in trauma. That NWO episode where the locker room is destroyed. They are they're mourning their really existence, and you know, here's what the world used to be like, and it's never gonna be like that again. Whereas this one, we come back from break, and Vince is like. Oh, we can't have a match because they're still out here. You know, that's kind of all that they get. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see. Like, how do you get Andre the Giant out of there if he did have a heart attack? It's just, dear God, what do you do here? Right. Yeah. I love that there's, like, five guys propping up Andre as he leaves here. And Andre, like, you can't say enough good things about Andre's performance here because if, if you ask the wrong person, they might say, oh, Andre, you know, he could only do one thing. Man, Andre can do everything because he's showing so much fear. He's like freaking out. He thinks the snake is still under the ring or it's somewhere and it's totally irrational and he's putting it over because it's supposed to be. It's like an irrational phobia, you know? This is not 
people acting in rational, logical ways. You know, this is a guy who, in spite of his size and his power, is just this one thing that he's just terrified of that, that gets into his mind and it, it stops him from behaving in the ways he normally would. It's so good. He sells it perfectly. I think if Andre had been in WCW 10 years later with the Luchadors, with Jericho, with uh, Benoit, with Eddie, if they wanted him to be the best cruiserweight champion, he could have been the best cruiserweight champion. <laughs> it's possible. I won't say it's not. There's nothing he can't do. And another thing story-wise that makes this remarkable is a lot of narratives have changed for me doing this show. And one of them is nobody won the Hulk Hogan. To me, nobody won Hulk Hogan versus Andre. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a winner. There just wasn't. But while I would say, in my opinion, there wasn't a winner, Hulk Hogan was brought low in that he lost his world title and all that stuff happened. Andre was never brought low. Well, guess what? This is the night that Andre the Giant was brought low. Yep. What, so. what Hogan couldn't do, what Savage couldn't do, what freaking Jim Duggan couldn't do with his board. Now, now we finally have something which makes a real impact on Andre the Giant. What Jake Roberts couldn't do. Sure, yeah. It's not Jake, it's the snake, it's Damien. Yeah, it is. From Jake, from the point of view of Jake Roberts and the baby faces, like, it is, it is a very disturbing. Like, why, why you're getting off on that and allowing that to happen is beyond me, but there'll be, what kind of objects are you used? There's somebody, a heel uses an object later in this show. I, I don't know who it is, but maybe I'll find it in my notes, but after, Jake Roberts puts a snake on uh, Andre the Giant, causing potentially a heart attack. Vince McMahon will be irritated by, like, I think a heel after the match. Oh, oh, the boss man will handcuff someone after the match, and Vince will be like, that has no place in the World Wrestling Federation. (laughs) Okay, that has no place, but but inducing a heart attack by a snake after a match does. Right, yeah. We we see what you're all about, Vince. Come on. So that event, go back and watch that from Saturday Night's Main Event, Andre the Giant. Jesus Christ. The vulnerable Andre has fallen. And we'll see him again later, and it's going to be another, like, tense uh, segment. So we're not done yet. Absolutely. Gene Oakland is with the Hart Foundation. are still trying to get their belts back and also trying to get the best of uh Jimmy Hart, and as we talked about with Jake Roberts, like, do you want to beat him? Do you want to embarrass him? When you start dividing things up, you start having problems. I think the Hart Foundation continually has a problem in this feud in that they want their tag titles back, but they kind of want to just upstage uh, Jimmy Hart as well. And you, maybe you need to pick a lane. <laughs> yep, now they're running into uh, the problems of being baby faces. now that they've turned. is uh, You can't just want to win the match. Uh, sometimes it's just more important to hurt people that you think deserve to be hurt. And that's what makes you a baby face, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Come on, learn something. Uh, Jim Neidhart says the only way Jimmy Hart can hurt someone is to manage them. And they must squeal as the Hart Foundation likes to squeal. And they are on their way to the ring to face demolition. A lot of squealing in this. Yes. Be- between all the people with Hart and their name. so <laughs> Absolutely. Jesse Ventura does the interview with demolition, Jimmy Hart, and Fuji. Um uh, some lame jokes, I think. Oh, it did. We got the conservative. They're playing up. The, the election is only days away. I think this is yeah, the November 88, so I think this is George Bush election. And so he says, um, are they going to be conservative in their match? And they say, yeah, we'll be conservative and we'll let the, them be the bleeding heart liberals. 
because heart, the word heart. And bleeding, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so yep. that's not, you know, the Heart Foundation, again, are the, um, to me, the Alice in Wonderland in this era, um, Mad Hatter. Like they, I would have never guessed it knowing Bret Hart from the Intercontinental Championship onward where he's the most serious man in the business, but they're very wacky in this era. Mm, yeah. It's more Nightheart, I guess, but Bret, like, clearly Bret is kind of standing out, but still, like, in the promos, I feel like it's all Nightheart, so. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. So, again, though, I've been enjoying the matches that so we're going to the ring. We got Heart Foundation. We got Demolition. Demolition, still the tag team champions, defending the belts again against the Heart Foundation. Yeah, this is a match. Um, they only get so much time. There's probably only about five minutes here, but I think they do pretty much all they can with it. Uh, it's a very fine match um, for what it is, and uh, I, I do, again, really praise Demolition for their ability in the ring, something that they are uh, underrated for, I'd say. Yeah, so last time we saw a lot of Bret Hart, and it really came off well. This time we start with Nightheart, so there's a lot of power, a lot of pushing, a lot of punching, because Demolition's also known as a team that doesn't really go down easily. Nightheart is as well. Bret Hart hits that standing dropkick again, which he is just perfecting. Uh, beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more thing that I like was, so Bret Hart is kind of dazed. A smash is kind of dazed. Smash doesn't go down easily, so then there's like two punches, but these guys are just... So plugged in. So Bret Hart um, punches him one time and it just whiplashes, uh, smashes head, but you know he still doesn't go down. And the second time, Bret puts even more into it and punches him, and Smash doesn't go down, but Bret Hart goes down from throwing the punch. <laughs> yeah, no, very good stuff. And that's you know when you wrestle reactively, uh, you can get stuff like that. And it's uh, it's usually to the benefit of all involved. Yeah, towards the end, Jim Neidhart throws two of the worst drop kicks in the business. I don't think he even finishes his legs on the other one because it's like, what? What's the point? Uh, <laughs> the Rougeos are out, and they will do some distracting. They'll do some interfering again. The megaphone will be thrown in like last time, and it will allow Smash to get the victory over Jim Neidhart. So congratulations. I think the Hart Foundation have won uh, the Rougeos out of this instead of the tag team titles. <laughs> yep. Yep, now, now they can feud with, uh, with Jimmy Hart directly, which is what they yeah. wanted to do anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> it is. You know, you got to you got to figure it out. And they, they they paid the price. Demolition, again, the next time we come to you, it's going to be Survivor Series, and we have that 10-team, and I am, I'm so excited to see all those teams in there together. Mm, yeah, no, it's going to be very good. I, I have very fond memories of that one. <laughs> yes. Uh, so flashback, Harley Race, Hulk Hogan. And we see that table bump again. And Hulk Hogan is getting the heat for this from uh, the Heenan family that he has put Harley Race out of the business. He is, but uh, he's also already slipping from the conversation uh, very quickly. So, sorry, Harley Race. Um, Now it's all about Liz, because that's who we're talking about. Um, uh, Oakland backstage, some baloney about Liz that I didn't even uh, write down, and Heenan just scoffs at it. But it's a sign of the times because even he has to say, oh, well, she's a force to be reckoned with. But blah, blah, blah. And, man, no, she isn't. Come on. <laughs> she doesn't no. even do anything, for God's sake. I yeah, like he's still in a bad mood because of the Andre thing. So there's always carryover from the last thing to happen, which why 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 there never would be is what shocks me in wrestling. <laughs> this is a great night of um, 
carryover in general for Bobby Heenan because uh, he shows up repeatedly, and every time he is reacting to the thing that happened before, and he's showing the uh, the wounds of that previous segment. So uh, some very good stuff from Bobby Heenan here. Gene Oakland asks, if Hulk Hogan wins, will you bow to him? Bobby Heenan says, show me how to bow. They no, show me how to bow. And Gene finally shows them how to bow, and Bobby Heenan says, you know, that he bowed for King Haiku. <laughs> <laughs> and Oakland, um, it's like, oh, he tricked me. Bobby Heenan tricked me. And I'm like, well, you always say Bobby Heenan's so stupid, so maybe it's on you, buddy, that you got tricked. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Gene Oakland's with Hulk Hogan. He says, boss man, you beat me like a dog, but every dog has its day. So Hulk Hogan uh, shouting out boss man, talking about Haku, talking. It's so interesting because here's the thing. You're wrestling Haku on this night. You got a program with Bossman afterward, and then Randy Savage is in the distance. His primary opponent on this night is Randy Savage, who is number three. Then Bossman would be next, who's number two, and Haku is last. So Hulk Hogan's got them all lined up, uh, causing chaos, like three opponents away <laughs> indirectly, is what Hulk Hogan is doing. It's hard, to, it's hard to match this man as an earth element, strategic, manipulative uh, chess player in this era. He's stirring the pot, always, continuously. Um, yeah, Liz uh, comes in and says to Hogan, we have a date. And that's uh, uh, that's her line for the night. So Yeah, she, we have a date um, with royalty, but long pause after date. They're having a good time. Like I've never seen, we'll get into it, but I've never seen Miss Elizabeth as happy and as, um, she's jawing at the referee at one point while Hulk Hogan, they're trying to cheat against Hulk Hogan. I've never seen her do that in my life, so... Mm. You know, Liz finding her way in this managing of Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan clearly needs a manager for, you know, so he can, like, hold up the world title for it. Now he's already done that. I don't know what the reason is. Yeah. Anyway, Hulk Hogan, Haku, the king versus the former world champion as the night continues. Yep, and uh, you're absolutely right that it feels like the <laughs> the story is uh, not even really about Haku. Haku's just yeah. sort of here. Um and it's weird, too, because the boss man thing, they talk about it a lot, but it's almost like it hasn't happened yet, almost, because <laughs> it feels yeah. like uh, it's it's not being directly addressed, and yet they, they, they're all kind of looking forward to what that feud is going to be. So it's a strange little, little pocket here. Yeah, meanwhile, as I said, every shot that he's sending is to Randy Savage. Absolutely, so. yeah. yeah. Uh, Hogan all over, so... Um, this is a decent match. It's about anything that you might expect from this match. Uh, Haku, I'm always a fan of this guy. Hogan, uh, he's in his 80s vein here, but he's still kind of, you know, he's got the finger wag and like yeah. he'll prance around with the crown. At one point, he'll do some Hogan stuff that I'm not a big fan of. Um, probably the biggest thing to me in this match is uh, Haku jumping off the apron, trying to get Hogan. Hogan pulls Keenan in the way instead. And uh, we get our second great sell of the night as Heenan has to be helped to the back. And uh, he's really selling that this shot uh, floored him. Like, he's he's walking very carefully. He's holding his head. He's doing some great selling here. Yeah, I think he went in half committed because he's still thinking about Andre. And you can do that maybe in some matches, but, like, you're you're with your opponent and Hulk Hogan. And Hulk, if you come in half, like, half-hearted, like, because even when he's trying, he's trying to demand the Haku jump off the apron, but Haku can't, Hogan's not really set up for it, so there's a miscommunication, mm-hmm. 
And once you have all that, then you know something bad's about to happen. Hogan pulls Bobby Heenan in front. So it's just a bad moment, and Hulk Hogan capitalizes as Hulk Hogan uh, tends to do. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely does. So some good stuff here. Um, <laughs> on commentary, Ventura talks about Hogan and says uh, his ego has never been bigger. Vince McMahon says, but at least it's justified. So yeah. it really, doesn't really matter if your ego is overwhelming because if you get the green light from Vince McMahon, it doesn't matter. So, Vince McMahon is a co-conspirator in all this. You want to think about right now, like you said, Randy Savage is a babyface world champion for your company. You are a babyface commentator. And even at the beginning of the match, Liz holds the rope for Hulk Hogan. Hogan no-sells it and holds the rope for Liz. And Vince says, a little departure there. <laughs> uh, you know, th- that does nothing to say. Randy Savage doesn't do that for you is what that means. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're the babyface world champion, the other half of the mega powers. Like, wh- how is that? those kind of comments warranted right now? On, you know, they're not on opposite sides of that line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the uh, They're setting it up already. I don't know when exactly they decided. Maybe they knew from WrestleMania 4, but they're clearly laying uh, all these little seeds, and they're doing a very good job. And, you know, that's one reason people remember this feud, because uh, it was set up extremely well. So yeah. you got to give credit there. Hulk Hogan gets the best of uh, Haku in the match and takes a crown and crowns himself, to which I wrote, Hulk Hogan crowns himself a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> Very on brand for him, uh, for sure. Now, I'll say this. Liz, um, I think in, in wrestling history, she probably got over the most by doing the least. But, man, is she over. Like, Hogan's doing his posing in the yeah. ring after the match. And he encourages Liz. And she just does one, like, little ear wave like Hogan does. And it's probably the biggest pop of the night is when she does that. So, Sit sit on that for a second, you know that's crazy, but it's it is the biggest pop of the night. It's not maybe. (laughs) Like you can compare Hogan and Liz like together, and like she's winning in in that moment. Yeah, for God's sake. So I don't know. Elizabeth is a unique phenomenon in wrestling. Uh, Hogan lifts her up on the shoulder, just like Savage does, and I'm just like, come on, man, you know what you're doing. Like you're gonna come out and act very innocent later, but you're being you're being kind of creepy here you know you're not in your right territory yeah he all the accidents around hulk hogan oh brother I was, I was just thinking right now like if you wanted to have um down in history edge and Lita are going to have a ceremony on raw where they're practically supposedly going to have sex on raw we're we're in an era and a moment of baby faces on this night jake the snake uses his snake to give uh, Andre a heart attack to the fan, to the delight of the fans. And I think the only thing in this whole era that could have made Liz and Hogan more popular than they already were is if they just had sex in the ring um, at the expense of Randy Savage, who wasn't there. And the fans, I think, would have just, like, crowned them the greatest couple of all time as they did it. <laughs> it's a tough era. <laughs> it's tough. It is. It's hard to be Randy Savage in this period. So, you know, no wonder he's going off the deep end. Uh, you know, no wonder he's gonna turn heel. I can't wait. Like, I'd love this world title right now. I wanted to stay because I'd love this era, but it's only Randy Savage that you know. This, Macho King is gonna be just as rewarding, and my God, it's something too that this everybody talks about. All oh, the mega powers explode, and they do explode. And Hulk Hogan and Savage are never the same. But it's it, also 
fruit of this is that Randy Savage will not have the same manager when this is over. That's very true. Yep. There's the uh, so. Savage and Sherry. It's going to be some great stuff there. Absolutely. So this is it's, it's big stuff. They're all the weapons are coming out. Hulk Hogan, you know, that's you would think most people would not like to be handcuffed and beat with a nightstick. That's for sure. But <laughs> Hulk Hogan, everything like you can't question like, oh, man, I got my hands full. Like, oh, Haku is doing this to me and Bossman is doing this to me, brother. I can't think about anything else as he sets the path to his next world title without anyone saying a word. Yep. You got it. Poor, poor everyone. Okay, so. <laughs> poor everyone, yes. Oh, man. Uh, I think Liz is just a, a useful idiot in all of this. <laughs> I want to look carefully at the agency that Liz has in all of this because yeah. uh, it's very e- Like, she's incredibly passive as a character, but is she an idiot? Does she make choices in this yeah. that, uh, that affect the flow, the outcome? I don't know. I want to look uh, very closely at how this all happens. That's fair, because also you can be an idiot who just makes idiotic, idiotic choices. So <laughs> I don't complicating think it further. We haven't talked about this a lot, but they never. I don't know if they ever actually come out and say that Savage and Liz are together, like romantically. Do they? Yeah. Because like they're always together, but they don't like they're not. They don't kiss. Like they don't yeah. act affectionate necessarily. So. I don't know, like, that's, like, we all know it, of course, because we know what we know, but it's an interesting layer to it, you know, so Savage definitely claimed a lot of ownership, but what did that ownership look like in terms yeah. of the characters, so I don't know. That's, it's interesting, because they used it as a tool against him when he was a heel, they'd be like, you know, you guys are in a relationship, and he would get mad and say that they weren't. Right. So they did it back then. And so we're going to get to a point, I think he's going to say Hogan had lust in his eyes. So we'll have, to, we'll have to watch the whole context because why would it matter again? Is it just because he all, you know, he claims ownership of Liz, but they're not even in a relationship? You know, I, I think it's interesting to watch all the moving parts because, again, like everything else, the narrative is just like the biggest takeaways. But there's all these little things that happen along the way. Yep, this is human drama turned up to the extreme. Life is complicated and messy, so maybe this yes. feud will be too. And they're in the spotlight. Like, all three of them can't do anything uh, without. And this is another thing. They're all in the spotlight. Two of them are in the spotlight like they've never been before. One of them is used to it and knows how to operate. Yep, absolutely. So I think that's something that you understand only later is that when the when the spotlight gets turned up, it may be fair, it may not be fair, but everything you do has a consequence. So maybe you don't do anything wrong. But it doesn't mean there's not fallout and consequence all over the place. Yep, absolutely. <sighs> Gene Okerlund is with Dino Bravo. I have to really give it to Dino and uh, Ken and all these other guys who just like they don't go away and they don't they don't progress and they don't fall back. They're just kind of like in this one <laughs> like well, movement. Yeah, Ken Patera has done a lot of falling back already. He can't fall back anymore without falling out of the company, which he will do eventually. Um. But, yeah, we've definitely hit the part of the show where everybody was supposed to stop watching and go to bed. Uh, yes. I don't know if I have anything at all to say. It's Ken Patera versus Dino Bravo. Ken Patera is about a million years from when he was good. He's not bad, but he's, like, so far from his peak. Dino Bravo, he is what he is. They're still talking about the weightlifting contest from uh, January. Um, Bravo wins, so I guess that tells you where they are in the pecking order. 
Yeah, where if you want to know where they are in the pecking order, Ken Butera says, "I'd rather die than dishonor my country," as Hacksaw says. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you're now in your role. You're in a backseat to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Man, Ken Butera, one of my favorite Heenan family members. Great wrestler, great performer. Uh, one of the strongest guys ever. Retired Gorilla Monsoon. Um, all this stuff, and now, yeah, he's just a floofy-haired Jim Duggan follower, and nothing nothing about his past matters anymore, except that he was an Olympian, and that doesn't even get you anything, you know, so, ah, poor Kim Patera. Someday, maybe, we'll go back and watch the real Kim Patera, because this ain't it. Yeah, this is the only one I know, so. <laughs> but Dino Bravo, again, he keeps getting the victories, like, he'll just... Like I'll start skipping the match and all of a sudden it'll be over and be like, oh, he did a back, he did a back, like a, a side slam. Oh, of course the match is over. <laughs> Bravo, he, he needs a title shot at some point. I don't want to see it necessarily, but he wins all his matches. Uh, yeah, I don't want to see it either, though. So. <laughs> yeah. Arkelin is with the big boss man and Slick, and he says, uh, he, Slick keeps finding these guys, and Slick says, wait a minute, I don't find them, they find me. Yep. He has the knowledge and the mental ingenuity. Yeah. Um, man, Slick is so tall, by the way. Slick like, is so tall. I was shocked. I, he's 6'4", I think, when I looked him up, so goddamn, like, he's very thin, but love Slick. Uh, Big Boss Man says he likes to make people suffer. He talks about, he does the shtick and reading his rights. Uh, he talks about how he hurt Hulk Hogan. And we're going to take a much closer look at this Bossman Hogan segment when we get to them actually fighting each other. Because I know this is the one you've talked about many times in the segment, I think, that uh, is very important to your childhood. So we're going to touch on it more carefully when the company bothers to do so. Yeah, the, so I'm so confused, like you said, I think, earlier about the, the, the process. So we get a short video of them chaining uh, or handcuffing Hogan to like a – it looks like a steel guardrail is not with the rest of the guardrail or something. Yeah. But that I still would like to see that maybe just to get this narrative, but is that that's not, not the, the segment you've always been talking about. What? That's not that's not the one. I thought it was this whole time because that's like their inciting incident. Well, okay, no, that, that's what I'm saying. Like I don't understand how this works because uh, what I watched was the best of Saturday Night's main event, so it had to be on Saturday Night's main event, huh. and it was on Brother Love Show, I think, and it's Akeem. Maybe this is just maybe it's not the inciting incident. I wonder. Memory being what it is, maybe they don't beat up Hogan. Maybe he beats them up. I don't know. Huh. I don't think I would have liked it, though, so it's so weird. <laughs> uh, We're going to have to dig this up for sure. Uh, but, yeah. No, I'm very – because all this time I thought this was the segment you were talking about, so interesting. I still would be interested because I don't know how this came about, and I would love to know, like, you know, the claims that are made back and forth because – I think this is on Brother Love also, so I don't know. Something interesting is going on. Okay, so we'll figure it out, but – We'll definitely dive deeper into that feud because we're going to get, I think, a big Bossman Hogan uh, cage match. We are in uh, January, I think. So it's wild, man. This is I don't understand how you can keep moving from like, oh, this is some of the best stuff ever to like, oh, I can't wait till the next thing because that's some of the best stuff ever. <laughs> yeah, no, we're in a hell of a great era right now. Absolutely. I love Big Bossman. He makes. Gene Erkelin spelled like, oh, spell that, like the word big. And he's like, oh, you're a big boss. And I said, spell it. And so you have to spell it. And I think at first I was like, this is kind of stupid. Why is he doing this? And then this is the authoritarian, like abuse of power boss man that like he's about to have a fit because he told you to spell the word, not say the word. And you better spell the word. So 
they're really building up the dangerous kind of authoritarian, out of control, big boss man in this era. Absolutely, he'll tell you to do things which make no sense. And he'll beat you up if you don't do them. Because <laughs> you're probably supposed to follow do. him. Yeah. And if you do, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so. He squashes Jim Powers here. Not a lot to say about the match. After the match, he does uh, what you mentioned. He uses his weapon, as many baby faces also do, but now it's unacceptable. He handcuffs Jim Powers to the ropes. He hits him with the nightstick. Vince declares, there is no place in the WWF for this. So that'll tell you something right there. The only difference is Slick has the decency to try to distract the referee while he does it. <laughs> yep. I don't know if this is better than Jim Duggan and his board. Or Brutus Beefcake just, like, humiliating people. Or Jake Roberts trying to cause heart attacks with his snake. That's all fine. But you hit a guy with a nightstick, and, man, you're you're banned for life. You know, you're the devil. So that tells you what you need to know. It's fascinating. Um, I don't recommend any of it. I think, you know, one person in the company just want to actually just win a match and, you know, not brutalize someone afterward. But, you know, you, I don't know how you start separating these things. The only thing I could separate, maybe is the fact that, you know, giving a man a heart attack might be one step above. But the rest of it is just, you know, it's, it's out of control. Uh, you you have surrendered completely to your gimmick. And, you know, you to the point you sometimes forget you're a wrestler. And at least if we want to play morality, which I don't see the point in always doing that, but if you want to, this man is a heel and they are baby faces. So if we want to separate them out somehow, they can't all be doing the same thing. Yeah, and so the line makes no sense either because, like, what does Rick Drew do after a match? He'll kiss a woman. What does Ted DiBiase <laughs> does? He, like, puts money in the guy's mouth, which is, you know, not good, but, like, you, you get the money. Depends on where your bank account is. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. So I don't know. Like, so, some of these things are worse than others, but the line makes no sense for, like, what's good and what's bad. It only makes sense if your only criteria is uh, who's doing it and if you like them or not. Yeah, it's it's an astonishing error because we're talking about all these egregious things that in, just seem to make no sense, especially if you try to read it, though, in that black and white moralizing because, it's, again, it's not that. It's something else. But we're not done with those because he just brutalizes this guy. And then we go to Gene and Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan lets us know he was watching the whole thing. He's like... Yes. Uh, we just saw what he did to Jim Powers. Uh, every lick of the stick, he was screaming for me. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you didn't. You sure didn't go out and help, did no. you? I bet Jim Powers is a Hulkamaniac, for God's sake. Yeah. He just had to suffer for your sake. So, good God. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, maybe I want him to come down if I'm a Hulk Hogan fan. But he has no obligation to come down. You know... <laughs> So there's two sides to it. Cause hey, you can if argue, I have an obligation as a Hulkamaniac to not be getting oxygen when Hogan gets choked, <laughs> then the least Hogan could do is come out and help me when I'm getting the shit beat out of me. That's all I'm saying. That's a fair argument. I just think the other side is like a John Cena would come down, but not because he cares about the person, but like, oh, this is my obligation. Like I do what I'm told and what I'm supposed to do. And for some reason... The fans are, are more responsive to the guy. Again, Bruce Pritchard said uh, he won't come to his friend's aid because he has to work out, you know. <laughs> We've talked about Hulk Hogan as God, maybe uh, more of an Old Testament God where your people might just be suffering. And, you know, he'll he'll bring down a plague later, but you're going to suffer in the meantime. So, yes, you know? <laughs> that is spot on, Vince fan, spot on. Because, too, like, Hulk Hogan knows 
what story, like why storytelling matters. He's a master of that. And so if I save Jim Powers, yes, I do a good thing, but I alleviate the tension. You know, I, I disrupt the boss man. I help someone. I, I make the tension go down. If I don't disrupt it, boss man's elevated. The tension is worse and it, it, it just gets bigger when it's payoff time and I do show up. Um, two different conversations. Morality is one, and that's fair. But also storytelling and what we actually really want is another conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm gonna think hard. I'm gonna think a lot about Hulk Hogan um, having worshippers instead of fans, because I think I think it might make more sense when we get down to it. So <laughs> Hulk Hogan says you're gonna go on trial, and the Hulkamaniacs will be the biased jury, which is his quote, um, and. A lifelong sentence of Hulkamania is going to be his punishment. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to do the job on the first Nitro, so it's going to last for a long time. Uh, that is true. Man, what a what a what a story, though. And then Gene Arkham says, "His Honor, Hulk Hogan," as Hulk Hogan uh, leaves. He's trying to make up for the other stuff he did in the yes. show. So <laughs> the brainwashing, the hypnotism is worn off. The bowing, yeah, he feels bad now. So. So earlier in the night, Jesse Ventura declared that he would be going to the back later and he would have an interview with Andre the Giant after what happens. So we end the show with Jesse Ventura and Andre the Giant. Yes, and Bobby Heenan as well. And I got to say, both Heenan and Andre look like shit Ooh. here. Like they are really wearing the wounds of uh, what happened before. Um, Heenan is still selling where he got hit by Haku. And this is, you know, Heenan, one thing he was very good at, and he was good at almost everything. But whenever he took a shot from, like, a real wrestler, like, you know, he would wrestle a jobber or something, but whenever he got beat up by a real wrestler, man, he would sell it like he was just about murdered. And mm. uh, he's doing a great job of that here. And then Andre, like, his shirt is ripped open, and he's still, like, panicking. And, man, they're just they're just selling the hell out of this, and they're doing a great job of it. So seldom do you see division on sides of the line especially the heels because by god they need each other so jesse ventura talks about being afraid of the snake and andre the giant grabs jesse by his shirt and tie and pulls him in and says don't say i'm afraid of snakes and like the tension of bobby is is so real in this moment it's so authentic and it's just like wow you got jesse ventura being handled by andre the giant right now (laughs) even better is what he actually says is don't say I'm afraid and don't say that other word in front of yeah. me. So at yeah. the same time, he's denying that he's afraid, but he can't even hear the word snake. And this is the kind of like attention to detail that I love here. It's so good. That's really Jesse then is out of pocket because they, these guys, these guys trumpet each other's narratives. And so Jesse doesn't yet know what the narrative is. Oh, he's not afraid of snakes and don't mention snakes, you know, <laughs> Yes, no, it's so in the moment. Like it's take it's not you never get a sense that it's like predetermined, preordained. Yeah. Um they're like making it up in the moment as they go. And I'm sure they're not, but just like it feels that way. It feels like it's progressing naturally. You have Hina and he's like railing against snakes and women as well, like you said, he brings up the Rick Rude thing. Um, Andre, I love this. He like beseeches Jesse Ventura. He's like, we're friends, right? You have to go to Jack Tunney and yeah. and make sure he bans Jake Roberts from bringing that snake, you know? It's so good, because it's so plaintive, 
by Andre. Like, you've never seen Andre like this. Uh, he's in, like, actual real fear. Andre as an actor is, like, super underrated. I'll just say that much for sure. Yeah. He's like a child. Yeah. And watching, like, whatever his seven foot four, five hundred whatever pounds, he's like a child. And he's pleading. And Jesse Ventura has made a mistake because Jesse... Jesse's trying to be more self-important and important and like, you know, he's calling out Gene. He's a journalist. So he kind of goes in there with his own ego of like, oh, I'm a journalist. I'll ask the questions. Mm-hmm. But it's not the time, it's not the necessary time for Jesse, the journalist. It's, they need Jesse, the commentator who takes the line for the heels. Yes. yes. And so th- that conflict just rips another, like Bobby Heenan and Andre and the family cannot buy a victory on this show. <laughs> They can't, yeah. The theme of this is, like, the bad night for Bobby Heenan and the family. Ah, it's so good. And I got to praise Andre especially. Like, I praise his skill, but also just his willingness to do this. Because Andre, like, is another guy. He didn't have to do anything no. that he didn't want to. So he said, like, no, I don't want to look like a punk because of a snake. Um, you know, he would have been very justified in doing that. And yet here he is showing fear, showing uh, embarrassment showing panic because of all this. And, um, it's just another, uh, point of credit in his favor. It is. It's masterful storytelling. And it's again, a point that has to be made that Hulk Hogan is back and in full force. And guess who's closing the night once again. Yep. Still Andre. His story is, uh, the most important one here. So it's very good stuff. There's something that's so strange because you can never take away to me in this era that Hulk Hogan kind of transcended the business. He enlarged the business. He made all this money for the business. Andre feels like almost like the heartbeat of the company. Like he's a pulse, even as a heel. And I would argue he's not really a heel. Even someone who gets booed. Like the things that he, the rides that he takes us on. I don't know. I don't know. It's almost like the, the landscape of the air is Andre. He, he is the landscape of WWF. Right. And if Hulk Hogan is like the greatest thing on the landscape, Andre somehow is the landscape. Mm-hmm. It's, oh God. I, I think above everything that we've done so far in this series, seeing the longevity of Andre on this level has been the most rewarding thing. <laughs> Shout out to Benjamin Button, who's uh, always talking about Andre, and rightfully so. And uh, as we have reinforced in this series, just one of the best ever. And I'll stress again, you know, we're not even close to the peak of Andre physically, but the peak of Andre, like, as a, a character performer, um, man, he's just, he's phenomenal. Uh, every single show we do, he's knocking it out of the park. Yeah, I will say I know a little bit about Benjamin Button's uh, childhood. We talked about that before, and so one thing, Benjamin Button had this uh, VHS box set. I think it's WrestleManias one through thirteen. That those are all that had existed at the time. Yeah, and like I also had that. Uh, ironically, I had that box set as well, uh-huh. and I never hardly watched it because I couldn't get like I don't know what it was. I couldn't get into eighties WWF. But, like, I didn't really try, so it was just, like, an imagined I can't get into it. Mm-hmm. But he was deep. Like, he loved Demolition. He loved Bobby Heenan. He loved Gorilla Monsoon. He loved Andre. Like, he was deep into that all the way from childhood. And I am finally now just starting to realize, like, I kind of knew it, but, like, I'm experiencing, like, what that was like. And, God, it's, it's a hell of a ride. The narrative against this era is really powerful. Like, I think a lot of people avoid this era because, like, 
we talked about it like, oh, it's just Hogan and he's always doing the same thing and he's bad and we don't like him. And Andre is like all broken down. He can't even move yeah. and it's embarrassing. And, you know, is the wrestling is bad and it's not good and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Experiencing it um, in a more real way, I think. I'm sure there are people out there who still wouldn't like it. But, man, I think a lot more people would like it than expected to. The, the false narratives run off the page. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, and they're just flagrantly wrong. So, mm, yep. It, it's, all right. So, it looks like we have finished up with Saturday Night's main event. I think Survivor Series is next. Is that correct? You are indeed correct. We have uh, another four match Survivor Series. We got that 10 team tag match, like we talked about in the main event. We got that uh, team. With DiBiase, Bossman, Akeem, Haku all on one side. On the other side, Hulk Hogan leading a bunch with Randy Savage. Uh, Hercules is going to be a baby face on that team, so we're going to have to look at that face turn, which we've already talked about a little. Um, we also got a team from Jim, from Jake Roberts taking on a team with Andre the Giant. We're going to have Bad News Brown on this card. We're going to have uh, the Blue Blazer making his debut yes. in the Legacy Series. Greg Valentine, a lot of great names on this card, so I'm very excited to go over this one. Yeah, my my hopes are high. I don't know what's happening right now, but it's almost like every single show I just leave more excited for the next one. <laughs> it's a great era, it really is, and we're uh, we're leading up to one of the bigger stories uh, of all time in wrestling. These mega powers are very slowly exploding, and they're gonna keep doing that. And there's just a lot of great stuff going on right now. I'm excited. Yeah, Randy Savage clutched that title, clutched that babyface status throughout '88 because it will soon, uh, it will soon be separated from you. Absolutely. So, all right, that is all we have for this episode, I believe. Anything else you want to talk about before we call it? No, I'm good. All right, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you ever want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at Spectral Gents. Give me a shout. Give me a follow anytime. Shout out to the great listeners that we do have. Uh, both in the forums and on Twitter. I always love hearing from all of you guys. Uh, on the forums, you can get there anytime. I'll say it again, www.lopforums.com. Navigate through that whole URL, including the www, or navigate through wrestlingheadlines.com, our front page. And uh, last but not least, definitely listen to the other programs on LOP Radio. we got so many great ones, a lot of great conversation to be had. That is everything. We will be back with Survivor Series 1988 as we get close to the end of this huge year in wrestling. And uh, it's going to be a lot of great stuff. So until then, Mystic, go ahead and take us home. Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Discovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to 
Yeah. 